Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. I grow the tea myself. So pardon its bitterness. Any tea is good tea. You know how long it's been since we've seen ice? I noticed a series of thick wires as I walked around the station. This is the hub, but they go underground to various stations all over the island. And these cables, do any of them run into the ocean? Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings to help guide in the vessels. By vessels, you mean submarines? Yes. The initiative used one to bring us here. But I can imagine only that the hostiles have either destroyed or commandeered it by now. That explains how they were able to get around my position and capture our sailboat. You had the same boat. Until we lost it to your hostiles. That's very unfortunate. Well, at least we were able to kill one of them. Why are we continuing to play this little game? When we all know it is moved to the next stage. On Enter 7-7 here on Post Show Recaps. I'm Josh Wiggler. It's Lost Down the Hatch. I'm joined here by Mike Bloom to talk Season 3, Episode 11, Enter 7-7, the arrival of Patchy. Mike. Let's patch him in. We can't. The comms are down, but he's still here nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, he's here in spirit, if if nothing else. Oh, man, Mikhail. Mikhail in the house. Mikhail Bloom. Yes, Mikhail Bloom, uh, you know, not nearly as thick of an accent, though I am working on a novel in Russian mm-hmm. as well that yeah. features uh, things that would be picked apart for no particular reason. I like it. Yeah, so, you know, there, there's some similarities between us. I, too, have also died about seven or eight times <laughs> and have come back to life mysteriously. So yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between myself and the great Mikhail, besides the fact that we're just the same name, just, you know, done in different countries. Although it is I with the eye patch, at least in uh, the Lost RPG terms. Uh, but no, we're we're very excited to have Mikhail in the universe of Lost. And here, As we lose Miss Clue, uh, it's an eye for an eye, for a, lack of a better term. An eye for an eye for sure, here in Enter 7-7. Uh, just a really fun, like, kind of thriller of an episode of Lost Elite. 
No. Very fun? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I'm really excited to talk about this one. This is... Uh, I call it a personal favorite. Obviously, all of these episodes are personal favorites. But, uh, <laughs> but Enter 7-7 is the one that I think I like more than The Average Bear. Uh, it's just mm. it's just an episode that I really, really enjoy. I love the character combination. Uh, the beach stuff is super fun. Uh, so there's just... A, and the flashback, I think, is really moving as well, ultimately. Um, so I, I really like this one. It's a Saeed episode, and with the exception of The Greater Good, I think the Saeed episode are often uh, really great. Um, mm. This one's no exception for me. Yeah, I mean, I, you talked about it last week how, you know, this might be one of the most underrated episodes. And, you know, I really had to think about it, especially after viewing this episode. I would say, I don't know if I'd say underrated, I would say it's probably one of the most forgotten about episodes of Lost. It lands smack dab in the middle of the third season, and unlike the two episodes that precede it, it did not earn much, like, critical comments at the time, yeah. one way or the other, uh, because you had two very much louded episodes in non-Portland and Flashes Before Your Eyes to not-so-loudered episodes in Stranger in a Strange Land, at least at the time, and Trisha Tanaka. And here is sort of like a, okay, we're getting back to business. But again, it's falling into this sort of weird period of the middle of season three where, you know, maybe there are some more forgettable episodes in the middle, at least looking at it from the macro perspective. But in retrospect, you know, this is the episode that closes out numbers-wise, numbers-wise, the first half of season three. And it actually makes sense because as we're going to get into this episode, there's a lot set up in this episode that is going to fill out the themes and the action and maybe even some of the character stuff for season three, which as we talked about, sort of like completely fires on all cylinders for the most part, especially during the during the last stretch of episodes. So I think it's it's a an important it's a setup episode, but it's a very important setup episode, especially in retrospect, as this is sort of our big Act one closer, if you will, to Lost season three, the musical. So we're we're going to get into all of that uh, with a lot of a lot of great sound clips today. I think we've got a lot in store. Uh, it's a very quotable episode of Lost as Enter Seven Seven. I think a, a very meta episode on a few different fronts mm. as well, which should not come as a surprise considering that this episode, which aired March seventh, two thousand seven, it's directed by Stephen Williams, prolific director on Lost, but it was written by. Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof. They are the the credited writers for this episode. And before we even dig in to Enter 7-7 and why I think the fact that Cuse and Lindelof wrote this one is notable, uh, we should note it is also notable that Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof uh, just reunited uh, very recently for a Lost panel at the virtual New York Comic Con moderated by my friend Josh Horowitz, who is also the brother of Adam Horowitz, uh, Lost writer. Uh, Nepotism all around. (laughs) But Josh is great. Uh, And uh, not just because he asked Damon and Carlton one of my questions uh, that I, that I submitted though. I was very, very honored that he, that he did that. Um, But Mm. yeah, it was, it was a great time. And if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, that video is somewhere out there. It's on, on YouTube. We can link to it in the show notes here. Um, Mike, was there anything? I know you watched it as well. I think like Mm -hmm. more than anything, like more importantly than any like breaking news items from the panel, I think it was just like, it's, it was so much fun to see Damon and Carlton together again. Well, especially the way they sort of bounce off each other. Like, I do think Damon is sort of like the more... Uh, the more saccharine of the two. I believe a line he took from the panel was like, you know, uh, if I had it my way, there would be no humor in any of my shows, <laughs> which I think also goes on to inform a lot of the work that he does post-loss, where it's clear from Carlton's post-loss work that I think he is a bit 
not necessarily lighter, because I don't think I'd call Jack Ryan the lightest thing in the bunch, but I think certainly for uh, maybe aiming a bit uh, less heavy, maybe is probably the better term. And so you get a sense as to like the way these two sort of work together, even though they are so separate. You know, there were a number of things that were sort of answered. Uh, you know, they said they said that they officially made canon that with Hurley as the leader of the island post-loss, there's going to be a Dharma Open golf tour every year, which officially is canonized now, which is amazing. They they sidestepped several questions. Somebody asked about the whole Amelia Earhart, Amy Goodspeed yeah. thing, and they just completely moved on to something else. That feels like it. that was in, in like, they, they had, like, a very weird reaction to that, where they're like, we don't want to confirm that because it's true. Yeah, it was very strange. Like, the, I think the definitive answer to a lot of these questions that were asked is, like, especially from a, from a, a mythology perspective, is, well, it don't worry, it was talked about in the writer's room at some right, point. Right. Which is sort of, I guess, relieving in that it was the writers were such big fans, as big of fans of the show as the fan base itself. Obviously, the second outrigger was brought up, and there obviously was no information revealed about that. But they did reveal, Damon said, that, you know... I think every creator, starting with David Chase, sort of has that one question that you won't answer, that you refuse to answer no matter what. And they just sort of like your- selected this as the one. They're like, we're not going to yeah, talk so- about the outrigger. You can ask right, us anything. So- we won't tell you anything about the outrigger. Yeah, and they compared it to David Chase, uh, infamously, will never answer any questions about the ending of The Sopranos. Uh, he just says, like, you know what? If you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, you don't get it. Let's move on to something else. And Damon officially declared uh, that to be the case here. There are a couple of highlights that I'd like to play because, Josh, we will certainly get to your direct connection. I don't know if you noticed this, though. There was another down-the-hatch connection that snuck its way into the panel. Do you remember this? Uh, do tell, Mike. All right, so this is from about 14 minutes in to the panel with Josh Horowitz, Carlton Hughes, and Damon Lindelof. Here's a question from DJ Dom. Forget the talk of a Damon Carlton TV reunion. I want a new podcast. So there was a question Mm -hmm. sent into this panel by someone by the name of DJ Dom. Yeah, I... I wonder how that could have possibly happened. Oh, I Josh, wonder, you cad! I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder how DJ Dom got a question in to the Lost <sighs> Reunion with Damon uh, and Carlton. I just, like, I throw my arms up in the air, and I gotta tell you, I just have to wonder how that came to exist. I love it because it's one of those things that, again, it's one of the best inside jokes in that the three of them nary a pause or a look shared of like, what the hell is that? I, I but just, for those of I us that no were listening. I-, I have no idea how that happened. I certainly did not have anything to do with that. Thank you, Josh. That's, you are recusing yourself from DJ Dom's appearance. certainly has nothing to do with me. Well, let me just say, whoever <laughs> happened to submit that question, next time, if I were to meet you, drinks on me right. for being able to sneak your way into the Q&A. Sounds good. Uh, uh, I, hear, I hear DJ Dom likes a good mocktail. Oh, perfect. Well, yes. I'll be sure to serve him up a nice Shirley Temple. Yes. Because uh, we are sailing on the good ship Lollipop right now, especially... As we mentioned, Josh, you get a flat-out name drop and an acknowledgement from Darlton themselves. Yeah, including, so, like, a groan and an eye roll. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 we can gauge their reactions to it. So this is uh, Josh Horowitz introducing your question, because we, we can also talk about the fact that your question was actually answered, which was a question that has been posited a few times here on DTH. 
I promised one super nerdy question to my friend and former colleague who I believe you both know, Josh Wiggler. Oh, Here wow. goes. This is, oh, this is a mouthful. Yeah, seriously. Okay, Josh. Strap it. Strap in. This is not for me. This is the bad Josh. For a, long, for a long time, the Whispers were associated with the others, at least in the minds of the fans. The Whispers appear alongside the others as late as the second hour of the final season's two-part premiere. The final season, however, reveals that the Whispers are effectively ghosts of the islands, the ones who cannot move on. Is there still a connection between the Whispers and the others, though? Do the others and these ghosts work together for some mutual goal? Is that part of why Hurley, who can talk to ghosts and then tell Walt in the lost epilogue that he can somehow help Michael, who is now one of the whispers. So Josh, even if you had submitted this under a pseudonym, I would have known it was you because the question is so lengthy that at the <laughs> bottom of the screen, they had to do a scrolling effect, like yeah. a newsreel yeah, of the whole thing. <gasps> yeah, of the, the whole entire thing. paragraph of a question. Well, Horowitz said, uh, he's like, I'm going to read this verbatim. Uh, I'm going to read this verbatim and, uh, you, you guys, uh, you guys do with it what you will. And I like that he couched it in. This is the bad Josh because yeah. he's also a Josh and he doesn't want to take any heat for this. There is like an audible groan of like, yeah. uh, da- at <laughs> yeah, least from Damon's perspective. Good. Damon's yeah. like, oh, this guy. I don't know. I, I'm try- I was trying to gauge Carlton's reaction because I know you've, uh, well, you've talked to his son very recently, right? I talked to the both of them actually. Oh, okay. I did a, pr- I did a print feature on Carlton and Nick Hughes, uh, that was uh, released in the Hollywood Reporter this past summer, which I'm really proud of. I, I recommend people uh, give that a give that a look if you can. It's also on the on the website somewhere on thr.com. I also interviewed Damon Lindelof for print this past summer too. Uh, so it's a real bucket list thing. That <laughs> so I got you got a clear gauge as to how those two enjoyed your interviews. Yeah, no, I, they, so there's no doubt in my mind because I've I've interviewed them both a, a decent amount uh, because of different projects that they've been on, uh, and they there's no question in my mind that if they know me at all, they know me. Because because like I'm always trying to like hold back how much I love Lost with them, and I and I try to be like as professional as humanly possible, so I don't like open extent. up. Ab- I don't like open up about anything. Like I I do I do no small talk. I'm very nervous when I talk to either of them because they're heroes of mine. Uh, so they probably just think of me as like the the weirdo that they have to talk to every once in a while because he works for a major media outlet. Yeah, I bet you they call you like in between the two of them like the Lost guy. Like oh, we're talking to the Lost guy today. All right. If, if if they think of me at all, I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, oh, no, okay, it's Wiggler for 20 minutes. This that being be said, terrible. unlike the other questions, as we mentioned, they answered your questions. And Josh, you wrote about this for THR, but I think we now have an official canon confirmation or at least a more substantiated answer as to the whispers, which ironically muddles things even more in that, you know, TLDL Damon essentially says that there, sometimes the whispers that we heard were not indeed the spirits of the island who who are not able to move on, but just the monster playing mind games. Right, right. That the monster playing mind games uh, because the monster could like could you know summon versions of the dead, could like morph into the dead, could take on the likeness and the you know the voices of the dead. That sometimes maybe that was a piece of the calculus. I think Lindelof ultimately lands on like the whispers, sometimes they were the ghosts, sometimes they were the others, sometimes it was the monster, uh, and all times it was a challenging uh plot corner that we had written ourselves into. But the most important piece is that they were scary, uh <laughs> is sort of where where they land on that. Um but I, I think like for the most part like you can you can incorporate the the monster being a piece of the whispers 
um, and and not lose much sleep over it, right? Like if yeah. the others are connected to the monster and Benjamin Linus can effectively summon the monster if the monster lives within the temple or like spends a lot of time down there, uh, then like it would make sense that like the monster is like trying to like clue the others in via whispering every once in a yeah, while. I mean, and, and so the main thing that I think most recently we had the question about was in the season two finale when they're up on the pneumatic tube hill and they hear the whispers right before the others end up, you know, basically rushing them and end up tranquilizing them and capturing them, taking them to the Palafari, which we see in the previously on here. And I guess now we can sort of headcanon it that it could be the, the monster. Yeah, the monster had, had like sort of become like it's almost like it's uh, it's hunting dog and had tipped them off as to like where they were. And Makes then, sense, right? Like from what we know about the monster's personality, the man in black's personality, like if he could eat popcorn, he'd be doing it, mm-hmm. right? Like he, you know, he likes to be entertained by the chaos of stuff. So he's like, oh, the candidates are about to get sacked. You know, he <laughs> would love to see what that's all about. Yeah, exactly. Nice job, Blanco Ninos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the one that does, you know, it doesn't line up that it would be the monster is that aforementioned part of the question that I had, which is that the whispers are associated with the others as recently as um, uh, the temple mm-hmm. in the final season, because at that point, the monster has literally locked in, right? Like the monster is John Locke at that point. Uh, so for him to have like gotten from John Locke's territory to the temple and back again, that's hard to wrap your head around. So I think like the whispers you hear in the temple in the season six premiere uh, feels like that's got to be the the ghost whispers. Could the monster have utilized the ghost of Chef Jeff, much mm-hmm. like Locke did yeah. once upon a time to knock out Saeed uh, yeah, to possible. be able to be two places at once? Yeah, it's possible. I suppose. Because we know he's know. dead. <laughs> yeah, you never know. He's had multiple tap wounds in him. No, I was very, I was very happy to to see. Uh, uh, I believe Carlton's answer was Josh. If you want that to be true for you, it can be true for you. Which is uh, like just the most fantastically <laughs> like you like it's passive aggressive, but you yeah. love it because it's coming from Carlton Cuse. Yes, yeah. It's like it's the like, it's like the the backhanded version of Double Doors. Like yes, Harry, uh, but just because it's in your head, why does yeah, that not mean it's not yes. real? It's just like patting my head. Good boy, want a <laughs> lollipop? Uh, like I appreciated that for sure, and. I appreciated that Damon was was game to talk about it, and I and I and I think like um, to the point that like with with some of this stuff along the way, um, you know, I, I think that there's there's a and we're going to talk about it actually in this episode. I think it's a good segue into talking about Enter Seven Seven. That there's some stuff in the text here of Enter Seven Seven that is kind of like winking and nodding at lost being a frustrating experience mm. sometimes uh and and winking and nodding at like the people who are trying to game out the system that watch who you're going up against because the the system is cheating uh you know we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit but i i, I think that there's uh the the candor with which lindelof talks about like we were trying to figure it out you know yeah. like we had we had ideas for how this all worked out but some of it we did not have like it ironclad like what the, the what the what the whispers actually like exactly were um so i think that like you can you can smell that uh throughout lost and and there's a lot of that here in enter 77 in one very specific scene that i'm really looking forward to getting into yeah so this is a very interesting episode in a number of ways and actually speaking of the whispers we're getting to another saeed episode when the first one was when uh, danielle rousseau who also makes a cameo here defined what the whispers were in that moment 
Not only that, we're getting into the second Saeed episode in which uh, Hurley plays sports. Uh, so looking forward to, to talking. Unfortunately, through. I guess the last episode, I mean, maybe he did some Dharma stuff that we're not sure about, but at least some on-screen Olympic caliber sports from Hugo Hurley Reyes. We, we can't so, call him Hurley this episode. Nicknames are banned. Yeah, nicknames are banned. So, so let's get into the episode. Let's go forth into the jungle, and you know, I think we're we're both starting, you know, tangentially with sports, but also sort of what we're talking about with with Damon and Carlton. That the the episode begins with Sawyer walking along the beach, and a bunch of people are coming out of the woods. They've got the ping pong tabletop, um, and it came from the from the woods. It must have happened when like the hatch exploded, and Sawyer says it exploded. I thought it collapsed, uh, and then and then Hurley says. Uh, look, the sky went purple. After that, I don't ask questions. I just, I just eat make my a salad, salad and move, move on. on. <laughs> yeah, and like the rage that must be like coursing through the veins of certain viewers at that point. Certainly for me, it's like, yeah, this is how everybody's reacted to the freaking purple sky. Right? None of you are asking any questions. I mean, at least they deal with it a little bit in this episode uh, to a certain extent. But I think that that is like that itself is sort of a meta commentary, right? Like if we spent any time lingering on why did the sky go purple, you're not going to be able to get a ping pong table episode can we talk about the hatch being like outfitted af with recreational sports supplies we had the dartboard Mm -hmm. which you know made its most recent cameo last week apparently there was a ping pong table down there i i'm just so intrigued to see like at what point during the redzinski era of it all did he decide to put basically all the rumpus room you know checklist supplies in Mm. the hatch to keep himself company yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you think he, like, ordered out for this stuff? Yeah, I can imagine, like, you know, this is his baby, This, so I can imagine maybe he goes to, like, the Hansos, or he goes to, like, you know, whoever the sugar daddies might be, and it's like, hey, can I get a little bit more money? I need to really put a pool table in, or get, you know, some uh, some slide hockey going. We really need to put that pinball machine in the corner to really get our minds going while we're pressing the button to save the world. You would think maybe he'd want, like, a Pac-Man like get get Pac-Man in there, yeah, uh, yeah, like no, an I'm, arcade cabinet. Well, I do wonder. Uh, I was going to say maybe with the electromagnetic activity, you couldn't put really any electronics in there. But looking at the record player proper and many other things, there there happen to be the electronics computer, in there. The servers, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are things in there that are totally fine. So I guess you know, even like a wooden pinball game, I'm sure would be totally fine. I mean, maybe the Rizinski problem is would, with with uh, Pac-Man, you couldn't really pause it. And mm. so, like, if the numbers start going down, what are you going to start prioritizing, your high score or the fate of the world? Well, what if, Redzin- knowing Radzinski, he would reprogram the Pac-Man machine where, much like the chess game, where, like, once you reach a certain level, then you can enter the code in. And in mm. that case, the world's going to end much sooner than was estimated, because I don't know how good at Pac-Man Desmond is. I don't know how he'll do in those three years he's by himself. So Kate is nowhere to be found. Sawyer's looking for her. Uh, and Hurley's like, oh, yeah, she's off somewhere. She's not back yet. And Sawyer's like, what's going on here? But he gets quickly distracted because uh, he sees Paulo shows up. <laughs> Paulo's got a, an issue of Guns and Ammo. That's Sawyer's magazine. Uh, everybody's like taking all of Sawyer's stuff. Uh, he's got a great name. Listen, Zorro, he says to... Yeah, to, and, and to, Zorro follows up with Hillbilly. It's not as good as, you know, Me- uh, Megatron versus, you know, uh, what was it, like, Hillbilly Man from last episode. But still, you know, we're trying to do a, an overload of the Sawyer nicknames because this is going to be a, a bit of a hiatus from them in this episode. But 
oh my god, I did not realize that apparently one of like the three facets of Paolo's character is that he <laughs> loves taking a shit. Yeah, this dude's got to take poop. You know, he's got the magazine. He's like, if you want the magazine, you can have it as he has a roll of toilet yeah, paper in his they're, other hand. They're cover- if you want this feces-covered magazine, go this, ahead. Listen, if you at this point, they know that they're going to kill Nikki and Paolo, so I think they're leaning into it. I think that they got to be leaning into it at this point. Like, in the writer's room, they must be like... This char- these characters aren't working, and of course they're not working. We introduced Paolo as takes a shit guy, uh, and so like I feel like they're they're doubling down on it at this point. It's like this is just a hallmark of Paolo is this guy has like prolific bowel movements. Yeah, I guess we're very lucky in retrospect that the like Hurley needs a new diet storyline from season one happened then because you know if it had been in the repositories of the writer's room in season three that they would let that thing flow uh like a certain movement to be like oh this is a great b plot that paulo really needs to find a place to go to the bathroom and he's gonna recruit Jin to help him get a new fish <laughs> diet so he stops pooping all over sawyer's magazines it's so wild though but anyway so that's that's paulo's contribution to this moment um meanwhile in the jungle this crew that i love John Locke, Saeed Jarrah, Kate Austin, and Danielle Russo. The Inspectors Russo, I call them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Is there, like, another time, or even separate from the Russo stuff, that we get, like, the specific trio of Saeed, Kate, and Locke together? Um, Maybe a little bit in season four when Kate and Saeed go to the barracks. Right, but uh, I, I feel like Sawyer's a, a part of that group, too, though, right? Well, he doesn't go with them. He's there. You know, there isn't, like, a specific John, Saeed, and Kate storyline that I can think of. This is this is the one that comes to mind for me, mm-hmm. um, and I really like it. I just think it's a good trio. It's like three people who are very uh, not not necessarily even hard headed, uh, although I think Locke certainly is. But I think they they are three people who often feel very sure of the right way to go about things. Yes. They are three people who are highly capable in their own rights. They are three people who would be natural born leaders in their own right. Yes. And so the three of them going off on a mission with high stakes such as the one that they're going on which is to go and find Jack which basically means to go and infiltrate the others uh, the three of these people who not necessarily have conflicting agendas though I think we come to learn that Locke does um, <laughs> that these three people will have like maybe conflicting ideas about how to go about the same very difficult to achieve mission I think there's some tension there that's really exciting it's also great to have Saeed and Kate back together because it's been a while yeah. and they, they used to be really tight at the early in the early going of the show. Uh, and I, I think the way that they work together in this episode, especially uh, like it's like, it's like falling back into a rhythm with a, with a friend you haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. It's interesting because I forgot to talk about this. There was a deleted scene in last week's episode, actually where Charlie and Kate just sort of have a catch up session because right. it's actually very similar where Due to the circumstances of season three and just her sort of becoming more entrenched with this love triangle going into a quadrangle, she sort of has not hung out as much with the people she was hanging out in season one. When has she hung out with Sun recently? You know, considering that was really one of her buddies in the beginning. That was one of the people, she was one of the only people who knew that Sun spoke English. So, I mean, not only is a representation of the fact that Kate's character, they're, they're still, you know, I think they lost the plot a bit with trying to figure out how to put her in the main plot from a non-romantic perspective that it's really nice to see her back in action without Jack or Sawyer. Their names are barely even mentioned in this episode. And what I love about these three as well is also they're probably three of the more serious characters in this group as well, both due to the things that they face in their life and the fact that, like you said, 
in a crisis, especially in those first couple seasons, these three were some of the people to step up and, you know, make decisions on behalf of the group. You could put people like a Charlie or a Sawyer in here, but the way their characters are written, especially at this point in time in canon, it's going to be much more comical and a bit more of a lark than these three who, you know, take this very, very seriously. I think it's safe to say that with a different combination of people, this would end up becoming a very different trip to the flame station in more ways than one. Yeah, I love this crew. Did I talk about how this is evocative of like my favorite party from Final Fantasy? Uh, no, you before. haven't. Yeah, so th- but one of my favorite parts... So there's the Final Fantasy video game series. They're Japanese role-playing games for a Super Nintendo, ranging to the PlayStations and beyond. Uh, and uh, th- one of my very earliest video game memories is this game, Final Fantasy IV, where the story necessitates which characters you're playing as. Mm-hmm. So like, you always have like sort of the central hub main character who's this dark knight who's on a hero's quest. Uh, and like he's like he's got his best friend who's like, a drag... Uh, a dra- Dragoon. Uh, he jumps with a spear. He's super cool. He's got the woman who he's gonna make his, uh, who's, who, who he's gonna be married to at some point. She's gonna be queen of the kingdom at some point. There's like the little summoner, Rydia, who's got green hair and she's badass. And those are like all like sort of like the core main characters. But there's this point in the story where there's like this ragtag crew of the main character plus like three kind of old people. Mm-hmm. Uh, where there's like the, the the geriatric wizard who's about to die. Literally Literally, there is like the crazy old man engineer with his giant beard. And then there's this dude, Yang, who is like this superstar martial arts expert from a faraway kingdom. And the four of them are just like these unlikely allies that have to band together because of circumstances. And you play as them for like a solid few hours of the game. Um, and this always kind of reminded me of that, of like, you just never really expected to have like a meaningful amount of a story arc centered on Kate. Saeed and Locke. Even though like these are all like major tastes, it's just not a taste combo that you think of together necessarily. And I really love the way that it plays. I just I, I it's a big part of why I I really enjoy this stretch of season three. Um, the moment that you know it happens in Trisha Tanaka that those three unite and they go and they meet up with Rousseau as well. It's just such a it's such a strange quartet, and mm-hmm. it's my favorite. It's my favorite stuff from Paravion, uh, at least to my memory. You know, we'll pick it apart <laughs> yeah. next week for sure. Uh, is is Sid the Richard Alpert of the Final Fantasy universe <laughs> concerned? There seems to be a Sid, if not yeah. the Sid, in like every game in the in the middle. You know, bits there. Oh yeah, there's a Sid in all of them. I think from from Final Fantasy four onward. I think yeah, Sid I was gonna say is, at, uh, le- at least in like four, five, six, seven. Which is what I'm most familiar with. There's definitely oh, yeah. a Sid there. There's, there's a Sid in though, though, eight. There's a Sid in nine. Though I think Sid is sort of the side of the group in that, like, he's the engineer, right? Like, he's Mister Fixit, and so typically, uh, he, typically. I guess we call him what, like, Sidied? Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't think we need to spend too much time on no, it. No, send it for a yeah. bonus podcast when we when we do enter Final Fantasy seven seven and we yeah, compare I'm, the listen. characters. You know I'm ready for it. Uh, so yeah, they're walking on the bearing north 305. Uh, they're on the 305. Said is uh, still annoyed about this whole thing that we're following Mr. Echo. Yeah, he's, stick. he's gone from like uh, sassy and sarcastic from that line last episode to now just like outright frustrated of like why, why are we doing this? He's starting to get annoyed. He needs some alone time. He's going to go and try and find some fruit. They've been walking for days. They're tired. Uh, and as he's on his fruit finding expedition, he hears a cow. There's a cow. <laughs> We've got horses, and now we've got cows And then we flash back to see the seminal uh, flashback activity where Saeed was about to be tortured, but then a cow came to stop it, and now he thanks that cow every day of his life. 
Yeah, I think that that is uh, on the the on the editing room floor for sure. Here's Mikhail. He's there with the cow. Here's the flame station. There's the satellite. There's the horse that's there too. It's not the black horse, so it's not the same horse that Kate saw a season earlier. But it's got a saddle. It's low. It's uh, there's some there's some things that you can see with the horse. Uh, once you know in retrospect what Saeed is looking at. But the whole thing is all all very spooky and scary, and we've suddenly got a new piece of the mythology dropping onto the table, Mike. Yeah, and this is where we're going to spend at least the episode, which, again, at the time, people were like, oh, thank God, we're finally getting back to this. And granted, we're going to find out some, not all things from this episode, because as we'll get into, some of it is fabricated by the aforementioned Mikhail. But I remember seeing this and just being so confused, not by the flame station, but by the proliferation of domesticated animals on yes. this island. Like, obviously, we dealt with the polar bears. Horse, you could say, was around, though, again, our leading theory is that was that was the monster. But the cow, the horse, and especially the cat, that we have many questions as to, you know, were they bred naturally on the island? Were they airlifted in, you know, like Jurassic Park T-Rex style onto the island. Was this in the pallet drop? Who's to say? But there is indeed. Uh, Old McPatchy had a farm. 04815. E-I-E-I-O... I don't know. <laughs> I don't have anything good there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I I love the cat. Uh, obviously. Uh, obviously, cat, yeah. Cat, cat man. Love Nadia the cat. Big fan. Best character on the show. Um, all right, so back at the beach, they're setting up the ping pong table. They've been looking for a ball. Guess who's got one? Sawyer. Where did he get this ball from? This like little... Uh, uh, is this a ping pong ball? I, I don't know. I'm trying to... I feel like it's one of those balls. Like I've definitely seen it before, but I couldn't it's like, like, you typify like play it. it like in like a Nerf game, it feels no, like. No, it feels like when you go to the beach and you have like those little paddles and you have a ball that you sometimes like hit around in the sand uh, to just sort of pass the time. It feels like that's one of those balls because it's very holy and that it both dropped from the sky probably and is filled <laughs> with holes uh. so it's not a ping pong ball that would not be regulation but i mean listen if sawyer found a dart in his foot and that came from the hash i don't want to know where that ball came from we don't know where the ball came from but he's got the ball and he's not going to give it up unless they give him all of his stuff back uh and he says i know y'all thought the general store was having it going out of sale uh uh going out of business sale uh, Nikki says, none of this was yours in the first place. So he says, A, A, it was mine when I took it, and B, who are you? Yes. Uh, so it's the start of the the Sawyer and who who the hell is Nikki. Oh, and uh, speaking of Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> Sawyer calls Hurley Avalanche. He does, yeah, <laughs> Avalanche. He says Avalanche is when he talks to Hurley. Uh, he says, all right, so here's the deal. We're going to play ping pong. Uh, me versus your best candidate. Uh, I'm the mountain. Who is your red viper? Mm. Uh, and he says, if I if I win, when I win, you're going to give me everything that you have taken from me. Uh, and they say, well, what happens if you lose? He goes, I'm not going to, but name your price. And so Jin and Son are cracking up in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> they are dying laughing. And uh, Sawyer says, ooh, Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon have something good. And Son does have something excellent. And she says, no nicknames. If you lose, no nicknames for anybody for a week. And, and, so and says, in Lost, right. a week could be like 
seven weeks, depending on what the timeline is. You know, it, it's just, it's so funny. It's it's so whimsical. It's so true to character. Like, the, the, those would be, like, stakes that you play against Sawyer. It's like, if you lose, you need to shut up with the nicknames. Yeah. For just a, you gotta chill. The nicknames have to go on ice for a week. Well, and that's the thing is, Hurley obviously tried this in the past. He tried asking him. He tried beating him up. And apparently neither one of those works, so now they have to do it through a bet. The one foolproof way that Sawyer will go through with something. You know, I'm of a couple of minds with this storyline. Because on the one hand, this does feel a bit echoing, Mr. Echoing, of the poker storyline from Lockdown, which, you know, what we love, this similar thing of, okay, we have people playing Sawyer for a stash and, you know, outwitting him and conning the con artist. Uh, And then you also bring it along with how we just ended the last episode, this very lighthearted, needed episode, and Trisha Tanaka is dead. I always found the choice to start the episode with the ping pong stuff very interesting because it did feel a bit samey, samey from that. But to your point, I think where it ends up going is very fun. It feels newer in that obviously the poker game had much more stakes to it in that this was Jack's opportunity to finally get one over on him from the events of the long con and get the, the you know, the guns back, as opposed to this is just more of a a general, hey, we're really going to dunk on Sawyer in this episode, but nothing in a way that really moves the plot forward, just a fun character beat. So I think while this plot starts off as a little bit of raising your eyebrows while they're doing this again, even in this scene, it differentiates itself enough to make it like a nice romp for an episode. But not only that, I actually think that there is a significant utility in the way they treat Sawyer, not just in this episode, but last week and for the short term of of where we're going for the next little while. Um, Because it's not just, you know, I I love this stretch of season three, not just because of like the Kate Saeed, uh, Locke and Rousseau (laughs) expedition, uh, even though I really love that stuff. I really like that we get into some territory with with Sawyer where we're like, where the show is like actively trying to bring Sawyer back to like where he was, where he was and what he was resisting when he came back in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to get us there so that like we can buy when he's going to be very protective of Hurley, when he's going to be very protective of Claire, when he's going to jump out of the helicopter for these people. Um, like the, the humanization uh, of Sawyer and especially because he's about to get his revenge right like he's about to get the thing that he's always wanted he's about to get Anthony Cooper he's going to get the real Sawyer he's going to kill that guy and then what does he have after that um, and I think one of the things that he ends up realizing that he's he's got is like real he's making real meaningful human connections with people and so like this is a very funny whimsical way of like on ramping some of that stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Like we've had Sawyer in the cages for a good long while now. He's had um, a brush with some like actual genuine love uh, with someone, like and that form of affection with someone. Now he's having like a genuine actual friendships with people. People are making fun of him here uh, in a way where like even he can't really like totally deflect against it. Um, but it's like good natured, and I, and I think that that is. You know, we, we've talked for a long time on the podcast about like when is when does the rehabilitation of Sawyer uh, truly happen? Mm. And I think it's it's been happening for a, a little while. Like when you look at the uh, when you look at the MVP LVP points, like Sawyer's finally in the clear. Uh, he's finally in the positives these days. Um, so it's it's been it's been happening for sure. 
Uh, and I think it's been happening mostly this season. Uh, but I think that this is, even though I don't think that he's going to get uh, points this week, I would expect... No, because he got hustled, baby! <laughs> yeah, and I think like he should have seen it coming. Uh, he got Uncle Filled. Uh, I, I feel like he uh, he's he's moving in a direction where, like, when if if you love Sawyer as a character, I think that some of the stuff that we're getting into right now uh, are big contributing factors as to why like he can become such like a romantic hero in season five, for mm. instance. Yeah, and I think that you know it is again echoing back to other storylines. It is a little reminiscent to that regard of season two when you know he's no longer sick and he's no longer possessed with the spirit of Wayne. I remember that one episode when he, you know he's a belligerent that everyone is basically walking up to him being like, oh. I'm so happy you're back. And I do think what is a key cog in this is the fact that at least this episode and the last episode, he was not around Kate. You know, Kate was a big part of him sort of coming back into camp after the Taily stuff in season two. And maybe that contributes to the way he turns on everybody during the long con. To your point, she's not necessarily involved in the same way here. She's more involved in a different way. And so as a result, you have someone like Hurley stepping in this episode and maybe like a Jin or a Hurley in the last episode. So he's essentially exploring friends. Uh, for the first time, you know, he says it's pretty bad when Jack is your best friend, as he declares right. at the end of season two. Now he's finding a new group of people outside of this. Yeah, main not only that, co- it's like, oh, there's so many people who are so much cooler than Jack. Yeah, so maybe the question about who the hell are you to Nikki was actually sincere and not as snide <laughs> as he meant it. No, I think he does. I think he has no idea who she is. Uh, I, I totally buy that. I totally buy that. All right. So uh, also in that in that scene where they're like saying like, oh, uh, so. uh just one person has to go up against you. Like Hurley is like queerly like, Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to pull shark this guy. Uh, all right. So Saeed is going to report back to Locke and Kate and Danielle about the house. He's circled it at this point. It's completely isolated. Uh, the satellite, it, it's, it should be able to broadcast for thousands of miles. He asks Danielle, is this the radio tower that you told me about? She says, I've never been here before. <laughs> and this is when we start getting into like the, yeah, Danielle Rousseau has explored the island for 16 years, but apparently not certain parts of the island. Yeah. How have you never seen this before, Danielle? It's really impressive. Uh, she does say like when she, when they're all about to go and she like starts to leave, like, Danielle, what are you doing? She's like, I am alive literally because I have avoided things like this. So I'm not going to be a part of this. You are all going to die and you're all crazy. Well, I also think maybe Kate uh, did a bit of a missell to her of like, we're going to help you find your daughter. And she's like, okay, but we have to go to this place first and possibly yeah. get shot at. Like, I'm fine. Just tell me when you get your answers. That's what I'm here for. I'm going to go down to the river, but apparently not far enough because I'll come back later on in the episode when things are going on and, you know, help you wrangle up me, Kyle. She just has great hearing, Mike, is the thing. I would imagine um, so. Like, I think she, I mean, whether it's her superpower or whether she's just attuned to her ears after being super paranoid in the jungle after a decade plus. Paranoid in the jungle, as they say, because Michael is all of the trees. Um, <laughs> all right. Flashback time. Said is cooking up a storm in Paris at the Gate of Arabia. Uh, looks like uh, he he looks incredible as a chef. I want I wish that we had more Chef Said flashbacks. Yeah. So this is the interesting thing. So we had a couple of comments from listeners this week saying that, okay, this is a fun, enjoyable enough episode, but I'm not a fan of the Saeed flashbacks. I find them unnecessary. I find them distracting from the character that we got built up in the previous flashbacks. I'm going to disagree. Yeah, me too. Because I think that this is... I'm not going to say this is necessary. Uh, I think if, you know, I approach you before this episode and I'd say, you know, Saeed is, is really, you know, regretful of the torturing that he did when he was in the Republican Guard, you would say, yeah, 
No duh. We know that about Saeed as a character. You shall not walk alone. He exiled himself at the end of Confidence Man. So it's not exactly a thing that informs us particularly new things about his character, but I think it is absolutely on track with his character arc, especially, again, as he's sort of figuring out who he is. Uh, deepening. It's yeah, deepening, yeah, right? It's, we're, not added, we're not necessarily adding anything new, but this is like further enhancing what we know about Saeed, what we've come to expect from Saeed, with the added benefit of like some really tremendous performances. Yeah, I don't know what really, there is to be upset about. Yeah. To that point, I would say it's utility not too dissimilar from Stranger in a Strange Land. Hey, Mike! (laughs) Utility. Let me just say utility versus actual, you know, performance. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. sure. And then they serve similar purposes where, yeah, you could tell maybe the writers were not necessarily sure where to go with these characters. Hell, it's Saeed being a chef in France, uh, which, you know, we talked about this in season one that, uh, you know, poor Saeed stayed in France for however much long, couldn't learn a lick of it to help Shannon translate everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, maybe he was dealing with his own stuff. It's clear he was working in an Arabic restaurant, so maybe they were speaking Farsi or or a different tongue. I'd like to hope that maybe there was a, a butchered storyline where Saeed found a rat in an alley, and the rat actually taught him to cook as well uh, as he did. Uh, yeah, don't spoil Ratatouille for me. I still haven't seen it. Really? Yeah, I don't think I have. Uh, well, first of all, it's, you know, the closest you'll probably get to seeing me in a cartoon, because that mm-hmm. is Linguini, mm-hmm. uh, is is myself. So I can you, visualize that. I've, yeah, exactly. I've seen the so, character. Like, just imagine who I am as a cartoon character, and it's Linguini. I've Plus, seen bits of Ratatouille. I haven't seen the whole thing. I think as a purveyor of pop culture and a content creator, I think you would really enjoy the final scene slash messages of it. I, I, uh, I love Ratatouille, the dish. Yeah, and that's and it, it comes back around in a big way at the end. I know that I've always loved the movie, like obviously, for, for selfish reasons, but I think coming back around to it in the past few years when I've, I've done some podcasts about it has made me really look at it in a completely different way and view it with new eyes. So we'll, we'll add that uh, after Watership Down. You have to watch Ratatouille. <laughs> much much lesser, you know, commitment on the docket. But I think it should be on there, especially because it might be, again, ABC owns this show. It could have been in the same universe as Ratatouille. Let me add something to what you're saying about the flashback here and how it serves a similar utility to Stranger in a Strange Land. And let me just, like, talk about... When we when we embarked on season three, and I was saying that this is one of my favorite seasons of Lost, and may stealthily be like the best season of Lost. Um, one of the reasons I I feel that way, at least why it might be like my favorite season of Lost, and the one that I really enjoy going back to, it probably wouldn't be if Damon and Carlton are unsuccessful in the pitch to close the show, mm. right? So like this season, they are able to tell. ABC, like, we have to end the show. And ABC ABC ultimately says, fine. And it's going to be after six seasons. Um, In a lot of ways, this season is a last hurrah for a certain era of Lost. Uh, We don't get stories like these anymore after this. Um, Starting with season four, there is just so much forward momentum. One of the things I don't love about season four... Literally flash forward momentum. Right. One of the things I don't love about season four is it's uh, there's this quality to which it it feels like it's spinning its wheels in the early going of season four, um, which I think probably you wouldn't feel quite as much if not for the writer's strike and the impact that it has with the fact that there's the shortened episode order that is necessitated by uh, circumstances beyond the control of the creators of the show. Um, But I love... Love that quality here in season three because it is like 
These are the final times where we will be able to get away with going for a joyride through the jungle. These are Mm -hmm. the final times that we're going to be able to get away with a ping pong tournament. These are the final times we're going to be able to get away with Hurley conning Sawyer into thinking that he's about to be voted off the tribe. You know, like (laughs) stuff stuff like that. Um, And I think like really like the final moment of that comes for me in... um, in the season four premiere, Hurley's going to cannonball into the ocean. And that is yeah. like a final send off to this era of Lost. And I love this era of Lost. And I know that not everybody does. Like, I know that a lot of people, or at least that uh, a lot of people will like prefer the propulsive stuff and prop- right. if, prefer if, you, if you're into like the action and exploring plot maybe yeah, over plot small stuff. character moments and then, then yeah. yeah this season four and five especially are like yeah. your jam. and and i love that stuff too don't get me wrong i love the whole thing but i i just i really relish these moments i relish mm-hmm. these moments where we're able to stop down and i think that you get that in the flashbacks i think that this is a season where uh you're getting like when they're at their best the flashbacks aren't necessarily like revealing anything new about the characters but they're deepening what we know about the characters and when they're they're most effective they are um uh if not like uh, sometimes delightful to watch sometimes just like really moving to watch like even like think about greatest hits greatest hits doesn't like really reveal anything new it deepens charlie um you know and i think even like um catch 22 with desmond that's not an episode that you can get away with at any other moment other than catch 22 and that deepens desmond that deepens the desmond love story with penny um I love that aspect of this season. I think that this is a season that's like one of the the most underrated uh, components for comic book creation. Uh, you know, you think of the, the the writer and you think of the artist, and the artist is traditionally viewed as like the penciler, um, the inker. Uh, the anchor is critical, and sometimes that's the same person. Uh, mm-hmm. In the case of this, it's the writers' room is is doing the inking here. But like the inking process is so important. That's how you get so much of the texture defined. Um, the 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 you know the negative spaces become more pronounced, and it adds the ability to color in and complete the image that the back half of Lost is going to be able to do. So I think season three is like an inking process, and I love that process. I think it is it is really important to like deepening the love that one is able to have for this show if there were multiple seasons three (laughs) i I think that's a different story but the fact that season three is kind of unique in this way if you view it as sort of a farewell tour to a certain style of lost uh i think it's really impressive and i think enter 77 stands as a testament to that kind of thing so you're saying the inker is the anchor Mm. Uh, much like the writer's room yes. is here, or at least these these smaller character moments of, look, you know, we're, we're trying to do some new stuff with the others, but no matter what, we'll go back to the beach and, you know, maybe have some smaller stuff with these other characters. Or as we'll see next week, vice versa, where that becomes the A plot and the B plot becomes the more plot focused yeah. one. Uh, so in the flashback, uh, it's Sean Taub, a.k.a. Yinsen from Iron Man, uh, <laughs> playing Sammy. Uh, who wants to hire Saeed for his restaurant. And so, uh, uh, in retrospect, Saeed shouldn't have trusted this guy the second he saw that soul patch, right? Is that the tell? I mean, you gotta feel like, listen, for me, if you're looking for uh, external qualities to define someone who is up to no good, number one is, of course, no hair, R.I.P. J. Lee. And then number two is a soul patch. Lots of people tugging at their soul patches, looking at their phones, being like, Mike, 
Why are you attacking me? I mean, to be fair, I guess my uh, my sample size is shut up, Tim. So maybe I'm misjudging <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was about to defend the soul patch with Tony Almeida, but he sometimes isn't a person you could trust either. Uh, exactly. See, it's, it's it's like listen, your your if your facial hair is off on its own island, who's to say that you're not with your own morality? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about. Uh, so yeah, society is gonna. Saeed is getting the offer to to be part of this uh, restaurant. He's like, okay, this seems interesting. I'll, I'll go take a look. Um, back on the island, Saeed is going to approach the flame station. Arms mm-hmm. up. He's going in. He's unarmed. Uh, that is, he sees the cat. He's like, hey, I recognize that cat. That's a, and that's a pretty small cat. I feel like, I don't know, the cat, the pro- cat proportions between both the flashback cat and the present day cat, uh, I was very concerned by because you are much more of a cat person than I am. So maybe that was just my own perception. But for some reason, Nadia looked very small the first time we saw her. Yeah, tiny little Nadia the cat. Nadia. Uh, Mikhail's going to shoot Saeed in the shoulder. And I got to say, I feel like this is... Uh, you know, Mikhail is is Mikhail really shoots himself in the foot in this moment. Uh, this does not feel like the way that this should have played out. I don't think Mikhail wants to shoot Saeed in the arm, uh, but he does it. He shoots Saeed in the shoulder, and Locke initially stops Kate from going out to run after everything, uh, which is a very Locke thing to do. It's like, yeah, d- you're going to get shot too. Don't go. Uh, Saeed can handle himself. Uh, they're able to, to get Mikhail out after Saeed convinces himself. He's like, I came from a plane crash. I'm not one of them. Uh, Mikhail's saying, it's my land. I didn't cross the line. So he's playing the role already. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes out and Kate is going to pull a gun on him and Locke is going to pull a gun on him. They're going to shoot at his feet like a Looney Tune. Yeah, if you love guns, uh, this is a big old episode for you because there's so much rifle stuff going around. D- do you think... Hmm. I'm, do you think that when Mikhail shot Saeed for being a hostile, he's like, oh, this feels like 30 years ago for some reason. I don't know why, but I'm feeling some sort of ping of myself from time that another person in a Dharma Initiative suit is going to shoot at me, but I'll die that time until I go to a temple and get resuscitated. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe he's... Well, no, because that's going to be in the future. Uh, oh, I guess he gets shot and then he has to go through Exactly. Time. Like, maybe it's his uh, past maybe. self. His previous life is reverberating to him of like, oh, maybe. this is deja vu. Maybe. Maybe a little tiny bit. Uh, this guy says, I'm Mikhail Bakunin. I'm the last living member of the Dharma Initiative. Lies! Lies. At least, uh, I, mean, yeah, I, I like I like this because we're going to get into his big story. We can definitely do like a Mikhail lie detector to sort of because, again, some of these are true. Some of these are very untrue. And yeah, him being the last surviving member of the Dharma Initiative is definitively untrue <clears throat> in many ways. Big lie. So Mikhail is going to at gunpoint. He brings Saeed and he's going to be able to treat Saeed's wound. He's uh, he has uh, experience uh, around field medics. He spent some time in Afghanistan. Uh, and Saeed wants to know, how did you get here? So Mikhail is going to tell his story. We'll listen to it in full. Somewhere in the middle of it, John Locke is going to find the computer in the back. We'll hear that as well. Uh, but strap in. We're going to listen to to the Mikhail Bakunin story right now. How did you get here? I almost don't know where to begin. Why don't you begin with the Dharma Initiative? I grew up in Kiev and joined the Soviet Army. I was stationed at a listening post in Vladivostok. After the Cold War, after we lost the Cold War, my unit was decommissioned. I was dismissed from my life in the military. 
and after years of conducting unpleasant actions against our enemies I found myself wanting to do something good so I replied to a newspaper advertisement an advertisement? would you like to save the world that's how I met them the initiative very secretive very rich very smart so when did you come to the island? 11 years now I liked computers communications equipment and being alone like a lighthouse keeper so they put me in this station they called it the flame what's the purpose of the flame? to communicate with the outside world of course They foolishly initiated a war against the hostiles. A purge, they called it. And how did you survive this purge? By not participating in it. I told you, I like being alone. And the hostiles allowed you to stay here? After it was over, four men appeared in the yard. They offered a truce. They said to imagine a line that extended all the way around the valley. As long as I did not cross it, I would be left alone. Then they took two cows, and I never saw them again. They weren't interested in the satellite dish in the yard? Why would they be? It hasn't functioned for years. Who are they? These hostiles? I do not know. But they were here for a long time before we were. A very long time. Yeah, and that scream at the end is like, wow, come on, all the lies. No, they're just saying, John, get away from the computer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love the idea of Ben Linus showing up, like, if this story is true, and then just like, and we'll take two cows. Yeah. Oh, and I'll be taking two cows now because I'm in desperate need of milk. I, I need finally the milk. get it now. Yeah, this is how I get my milk. So let, let's break this down. So I think, you know, it's all true except for the fact that he wasn't recruited to the Dharma initiative. I I don't I don't I I don't disbelieve the idea that like he could have seen some sort of ad in a paper and like um Albert coming to Juliet style that this mm, is But a- but he did but he did say that I think he he's I think I forget if he said this in this clip or elsewhere where he said like he meets like a marvelous man, which I believe is taken to mean Jacob. Mm. Uh, so I would imagine that sort of like in the incident, Jacob made like the drop-in visit, maybe when uh, Richard Alpert was maybe taking a, a PTO day or something to like do the personal touch quite literally to say like, okay, Mikhail, we want you in here. I would also say, I think another lie was that the satellite's been down for years because right. obviously as Saeed and Locke are going to ascertain it, though it's only been down four days because of the purple sky. 
Right, 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 right. So they they know that that's a lie, and obviously, like no one came to him and said, "Stay on this side, and you're fine." But he knows that that's a thing they do, so that's part of the cover story. Um, and I think something that, like, especially if he's like hatching this idea quickly with Miss Clue as he's trying to hide Miss Clue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe that's something that's coming to mind. Uh, but I think like the origin stuff and where he's from and that he fought in the war, like I buy that. I see yeah. no reason not to buy that. No, everyone says that the best lies are couched in at least a little bit of truth. And yeah, I don't think it would make sense for Mikhail, not even Ben Linus, but like, you know, extrapolate so much falsities about his history because that just seems like so needless. But there's so many interesting things even just brought up in this dialogue. First, Mikhail comparing himself to a lighthouse keeper. And we obviously know that lighthouses are going to become a very prominent part in season six. But the big thing that the flame station sets up, and this is, again, why I say this is sort of like the Act 1 finale and sets up what's going to become one of the big drivers of the latter part of the season, is communication with the outside world. Outside of the SOS signal, it has been a long time since the days of the Roft that these people have tried to communicate with the outside world. But once this happens and once Naomi the parachuter literally falls into the picture... Then it's going to become the main focus, really, of 815 for the rest of the season. And so even though the flame station sort of, uh, you know, obviously causes any sort of plans to communicate with the outside world via their means to go kaput here, it does plant a very, very interesting seed that is going to germinate not only for season three, but season four and season five. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just love it. I I love Andrew Divoff's performance as Mikhail. Um, This is just such a great character. Yeah, and I, and we do have a mention of the. I think this is the first mention of the purge. I can't remember. Uh, I, I don't ho- think we've heard the words hostiles and pur- and purge before, right? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to remember if we had heard hostiles before. We definitely haven't heard of the purge, which is also a little bit of like a lie in that you know the purge was really more of an inside job uh, that Ben Linus helped the hostiles do. So it wasn't exactly us versus them. But there still, again, is, is a lot of truth to what's going to end up being. I also like the effect of Mikhail putting on the glasses to tend to Saeed's wound, considering that it only applies over one eye. Mm-hmm. Maybe he, If he was able to invest in a monocle, maybe that would be more applicable. That would probably be better, I think. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine him putting on a monocle to look at Saeed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got to use what he's got. Uh, I just love to say, speaking of the bullet removal, Kate's surprisingly squeamish over Saeed's bullet removal. It's like, well, Kate, be lucky we're not on the raft when Sa- when Sawyer had to pull the bullet out of his own arm, because this is just child's play compared to that. Totally, totally. Uh, so flashback time, Saeed goes to the restaurant. It was a bad choice. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like what's what is what is there to say? He goes and he, he they're like, so you're here to cook? Yeah, I'm here to cook. Cool. Also, by the way, meet my wife. You tortured her. We're gonna lock you up. Well, and I think it's actually again if we're comparing it to Stranger in a Strange Land, there is something similar to you know Jack experiencing the culture shock and dealing with it in a very brusque and bad way. Saeed is sort of. You could break down, you know, when Sammy appeals to Saeed, he's saying, hey, we're both outsiders here. We're essentially both strangers in a strange land and that we're not we're expats. We're not from France, quite obviously. So I could imagine that maybe part of the appeal was Saeed being able to connect back to his people, which he is, but not in the way that he wanted to. No. Uh, so uh, Sammy's wife is Amira. She's played by Anne Badian. Oh, who- so good. Well, I would say maybe arguably one of like the best one-time guest performers in Lost we've seen so far. And she is a key player in what many uh, consider one of the very best episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, the Palestinian chicken. Uh, oh, so- yeah. 
So that is, uh, that is a little bit of connectivity there. Uh, and yeah, so she, she IDs Saeed properly. They knock Saeed out after he puts up a little bit of a fight. Um, back on the island, the bullet is out. He's getting stitched at. Uh, stitched up. Uh, uh, stitched at. Come here. I'm going to yeah, stitch at you. Come on. No, I don't want you to do it. I'm stitching at you. Uh, <laughs> Mika- Mikhail is talking to the cat. Nadia, of course, the name. Very triggering for Saeed. Nadia is an important name uh, in Saeed's world. But this is a cat named after Nadia Komenechi, the greatest athlete the world has ever known. So uh, let's talk about this. Because Eric Divestein basically said, has the monster been playing the long game, posing as a cat and befriending Mikhail for months or years? Or is this just a moment of bewildered recognition from Saeed? You know, is, is this, is Nadia the cat named after Saeed because Ben looked up his dossier and found that Nadia was an important part of his life? What What is your theory about this cat, whether or not it's real or whether or not it's placed there as sort of a trigger for Saeed? I think it's a real cat. I think this is one of the many coincidences that happen on... Like, I don't think that everything is, like, a thoroughly thought-out <laughs> All right, Mikhail, like, right, you need to get a poster of Nadia yeah. Komanichi. Yeah, well, no, exactly. personally, more of a Peggy, uh, Peggy Lou Retton uh, person. No, 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 you must put up specifically Nadia Komanichi. It's going to yeah. really put him in a tizzy. But I like Tanya. Uh, no, so it's, uh, it's, it's... You know, I think that it's it's just legit. They got the same birthday, Mike. It's coming up November 12th. Yeah. Uh, do you do you have a poster on your wall of a celebrity who has the same birthday as you? Because I'm staring right now at a big old smiling picture of John Stamos, personally, with whom Is that I share right? the same birthday. You yes. share a birthday with John Stamos? It's me, John Stamos, Matthew Perry, Bill Clinton, the Mount Rushmore of August 19th. Wow, that's pretty good. I learned this That's at a, a young age because I, I would I would like watch like TV on like extra or something and they'd be like, and happy birthday to John Stamos, who's turning the age of blah, 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 blah. But that's how I sort of realized from a very early age that you could have birthdays shared with celebrities that they don't yeah. not just sort of end their own tier of, I don't know, transcending the, the birthday concept. There was a you thought that celebrities didn't have birthdays that were the same as like the normal people. Well, I guess maybe I had not really uh, adopted the idea of celebrities. They're just like us. And it's like, well, these people were clearly created in some sort of factory, so they don't have <laughs> genuine birthdays. They're not human. Especially John Stamos, who seems to, Richard Alpert style, never age in his 57 years on Earth so far. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, the famous person who shares my birthday is Johnny Fairplay. Ah, uh, of course. Or do, yeah. Doesn't he share it with Tyler Weigert instead? Uh, yes, we share it with Tyler Weigert as well. Uh, the three of us share a birthday. So you have a nice um, poster of Tyler Weigert staring at right. you. And by that, I mean you're looking in the mirror right now. That's right. So Mikhail says, all right, I'm, I'm going to make all of this up to you. This is one big misunderstanding. I make a mean iced tea. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going gonna to make you some iced tea. I'm also going to check in on your friend who's rocking with my computer. Let's see what's going on. So Locke is in the other room. He's playing around on the computer. There's a game of chess on the computer. And he's playing chess. And Mikhail peeps his head in and says this. Don't waste your time. For ten years I've tried to defeat that game, but it was programmed by three grandmasters. And it cheats. Hmm. Well, I've played a lot of computers and I'm pretty sure they don't know how to cheat. That's what makes being human so distinctly wonderful. why but that robot voice always tickles me maybe it's a little ott your move your move yeah ready to play yeah what is the name of that robot do we want to name him 
Uh, yeah. Should we name him? Should we give him some sort of like Anatole, like some sort of like Russian name? Yeah. Or is he just seven, seven? Yeah. It's like a Pokemon. Yeah. Like, or seven of seven, like seven of nine. Yeah. <laughs> seven of seven. Uh, so don't even bother. That game was designed by three grand masters <laughs> and <laughs> named it Carlton Cuse, Damon Lindelof, and J.J. Abrams. Yeah, yeah, right, like a little bit right there. And so I, I love it. I think it's great. Uh, and I, and I definitely feel like um, this is like the meta commentary, right? Of like, don't bother trying to like break Lost. We're kind of making this up <laughs> as we go along. Yeah, like, we're building we'll the plane some, as it flies. We'll give you context clues of like what we're thinking thematically, and we've got some you know visual endpoints in mind and some certain things we'd like to do. But if you think that there is just one almighty key that you'll discover that will unlock the full thing, it's not really going to happen for you. So I feel like this. This episode being written by Damon and Carlton, and especially like when you when you know um, uh, you know Damon's own like metaness that he that he approaches his future storytelling with, mm-hmm. and I think the way that he talks about his stories and stuff, I think that he is often very candid about. Um, when he's like yeah we just kind of didn't know or like yeah "Yeah, we're just kind of like just like the emotion is what matters the most like i think that there is a a bit of cutesiness to this line like i think a lot of people did try to read into this right Mm -hmm. like what is what is the what's up with the grand masters uh you know what who who designed this and what is that going to be the key to unlocking lost no it's not it's well, really, really not. It's interesting you have fascination with that line, because the fascinating line that I have from this is Locke's, you know, that's what makes being human is so distinctly wonderful. Right. I mean, first speaking to the meta aspect of it, that's also a sort of, not like, I guess, reverse mea culpa, culpa mea, I suppose, from the creators of sort of being like, yeah, we're going to make mistakes because we're human and we're working on this. You know, we're receiving this show same as you. So like you said, don't believe that we all have all the answers. We are not a mainframe supercomputer that has everything plotted out. We're going to make steps from time to time. But it also, I think, really speaks to the character of Locke. And we've talked so much, especially with, you know, when we got into the Helen of it all, that sort of duology of episodes about his addiction to Anthony Cooper. And I think that, you know, there is a bit of Locke that is so fascinated with the idea of being bad and being amoral and being able to break a code of ethics that he has direct experience with that I think fascinates him to a certain degree. And I think that's one of the many reasons why Anthony Cooper stays in his circle. And we're going to get to that a few episodes from now when the man from Tallahassee where, you know, his trust in Anthony Cooper ends up sending him quite literally flat on his back. I should also mention that speaking of the chessboard and the seven of seven of it all. So the chess game that Locke plays was actually from an actual match uh, at the 1985 World Championship between Anatoly Karpov and Gary Kasparov. Uh, and there's some interesting things there. You know, Locke playing with the black pieces is going to be very prophetic as to who he ends up becoming, or at least who ends up taking his body. It, it's considered actually one of the greatest games of all time because Kasparov was sort of like this young challenger upstart who was at a disadvantage with the black pieces and had to take down the then champion Karpov, who had the white pieces. And basically it was like Karpov had to... All he had to do was draw. All he had to do was, like, draw out an outcome until the match ended, and then he would automatically win. But being on a bit of a ticking clock, Kasparov is able to take advantage. And this is, I think, completely coincidental... 
but it could also be very easily mapped onto the way that the incident happens and how the man in black using a very lengthened timeline was able to eventually get a checkmate over on Jacob. Where does Guillermo Villas come into play with all of that? Yeah, actually, uh, he decides to show up uh, with a, his, you know, his second is a man named Mr. Farty, and they <laughs> decide to play a match cleanup, and it turns out that Mr. Farty actually gives away one of his rooks for no particular reason, for like a promise of safety, and then he very clearly gets blindsided after that, unfortunately. Very strange. All right, so Mikhail is going and checking in on Locke, and meanwhile, Kate's like, hey, Saeed, did any of that make sense to you? And Saeed's like, yeah. It actually did. It all tracks really well. If it's a lie, it's a lie, and he's not alone. And I know this because I'm Saeedra, human lie detector. Yeah, see, that's the thing is like, you know, Mikhail got a bad draw here in bringing the human lie detector. He got the wrong guy. Yeah, maybe Sawyer could be another one that could sort of see through the BS because of the culture that he comes from. But I feel like everyone else would be like, oh, this guy's given us iced tea. He's given little lock computer games. Like, this guy seems on the up and up, but no, no, no. He, they ran afoul of Probably two of the more skeptical people in 815. Mikhail should not have shot Saeed. Mikhail should have gone into hiding with his guns, with Miss Clue, wait and see if Saeed comes downstairs, and then get the better of them there. Like, why would he shoot him and try and play this whole thing? This is a bad idea. The whole thing was a very bad idea. I'm sure. So I guess, you know, Ben obviously had outfitted them, him there for a while. We're going to see in, I believe, one of us when he takes Juliet to the station to have her see that Rachel is okay, that he's been there for a bit. Is this just like an in case of emergency plan that Ben gave to him? Or do we think this is Mikhail yeah, really like trying to shoot from the hip here? Yeah, I think so. I think it feels like he's shooting from the hip. Like this, you know. Mikhail is not the sharpest tack, I feel like, a lot of the time. Like, there are ways in which he's, like, super tough and resilient. Right. Uh, but I don't he's, think he's, he's very He's very crafty, I would say. You don't live on your own in the flame station for years without being at least a little resourceful, but that resourcefulness might not carry over to being he's, improvisational. He's resourceful. He's crafty. Yes, he's and cut- I am at the store. He's, you know, he's cutthroat. He's willing to, to, you know, do a lot to, to, to get what he wants. But is he like hyper intelligent? I don't think so. I don't think that he's like the smartest of all of the others that we have encountered at this point. But anyway, I always love this piece of Enter Seven Seven. Like this is like kind of a, this is like a, a jewel in the crown of the Saeed Jarrah as a human lie detector stuff because like all he had to do was walk through the like the field, look at a horse. He's like, ah, okay, so this guy's got friends here. Yeah, I think in another timeline, maybe Andrews would be cast as a Sherlock Holmes type. Oh, that'd be amazing. I hope and it's then this maybe timeline. with Dominic Monaghan as Watson. Oh my god, I hope it's not too oh, late. Did I, we just, I think we just put that into the ethos oh, now. This needs to become a man, thing. Man, that that's really, really good. Uh, yeah, that's really good. That's great. Uh, Alright, so... Uh, put a pin in that, by the way. Um, so, back at the beach, uh, it's going to be Sawyer versus Hurley. Uh, so, you're the number one draft pick, Grimace. Uh, and they're always like, yeah, I am. By the way, if uh, we gonna do the mercy rule, if like I'm up eleven zero, or you get to, do you do you lose? So it's like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm just, you know, you know, you could, you maybe you'll mercy me. Who knows? Uh, and so Sawyer's gonna allow uh, Hurley to serve after Hurley asks if we should volley to serve. Uh, and this is, uh, as the great Emily Fox would probably say, Jeffrey, bring me Lucille. It's a great Uncle Phil moment where Hurley <laughs> is pool sharking Sawyer. Uh, and so clearly he's, uh, I mean, you don't even question. need to see a lot of this match. 
And speaking of background stuff, we talked about this last episode with, like, Paolo background shenanigans. Dallin Cerebro pointed this out, and I noticed it as well, that if you cut to the back, obviously there's a bunch of people, like, in an, a semicircle acapella group style around Hurley rooting him on. But Paolo is still holding the poopy magazine. <laughs> yeah, he is. He, but he just, is he's gonna, he's gotta go. He's gotta keep going. Or maybe he's holding it until the match is over. Do you think if Sawyer loses, we see that off camera, does Paolo like throw the magazine back in his face to <laughs> just be like, yeah, and here's insult to injury. Now you have to smell your poop colored oh, God. guns oh, and I ammo. Don't do this. I More don't like do this. runs and ammo. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to do just, any of that. I, I don't know why Paolo poop Let's hands go. standing We're, around okay. with this. <laughs> Let's move on. We'll move on. Uh, back at the flame station, Mikhail brings him the iced tea. We already heard this clip. Uh, Mikhail brings him the iced tea. I grow the tea myself, so apologies if it's very bitter. Any tea is good tea. Uh, Kate has the line. You have any idea how long it's been since we've seen ice? Yeah, I guess uh, they didn't. I, I, in retrospect, I guess they didn't have an ice machine in the hatch. It really made me think about like, well, you had a ping pong table. Why not an ice machine? So Saeed has some more questions for uh, Mikhail. Specifically, he's noticed some thick wires all along the island every once in a while. And he wants to know what's the deal with the wires. And Mikhail offers this answer. Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. Could you actually play that one more time, Mike? Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. All right. Could you so just play that one more time? I just, I did, I don't know that I fully heard what he third said. Third time's the charm. Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. All right. So let, let's. Maybe let's, a fourth time just because, like, it's the numbers and we want to get it to four. Oh, my God. Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. You know what? Actually, let me play it four more times to get an update. <laughs> no, no. Here we go. <laughs> yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. More? Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. And we're good now. And you know what? I don't really want to elaborate on that, to be completely honest with you. Mike, if you know, you know, and I want to give a shout out to David Healy, who we promised uh, we would get here. We, <laughs> we promised a year ago. He wrote in on October 24th, 2019. It has been a long time in the making, but thank you for sending out that ping, David. And it was you, gladly if received. You, if you catch it, you catch it. And if you don't, you don't. <laughs> Your life is probably better than our cursed existence, where you can only hear that line read one very specific way. And let's, uh, let's, let's, let's hear it again that one specific way. Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. And that was the last okay. opportunity you could have to listen to it in real time. All right. So uh, those solar sonar pings guide in vessels like submarines. Uh, and Mikhail says, oh, but the others probably took it over. Probably hijacked the submarines at this so point. So I can't remember. So does, does he know about the looking glass station or is he just talking about like the, the, the actual beacon that exists underwater? Uh, he knows about it, I'm pretty sure, because he knows, like, Bonnie and Gretchen, right? Like, they seem to have some, yeah. uh, but he thinks, like, oh, Ben told me you guys left. Ben told me the thing isn't working. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so he, so obviously, like, we're going to get a reference to that, but not the outright station that exists, which seemingly, Mikhail's sort of in the inner circle, but not a lot of people outside of them really know about it, or yeah. at least it being active at the moment. This because Mikhail is a Benjamin Linus guy, through and through. Oh, this yeah, dude, he's, he's loyal AF, like, yes. he's very, he's very uh, good to use, except when it comes to coming up with a story, apparently. So it, it makes sense that he's, like, a loyal soldier devotion to this guy, that Ben could be like, you want to go live out on your own in the jungle for years? Sure. I trust you. 
he's devoted. He's devoted to Ben. Uh, he is very, very into to anything that Ben wants. Um, so he say he says all that, and Side's like, "Oh, well, that would make sense. That's how they got the drop on us in the glass bow arena. Uh, that's how they got the sailboat." Uh, and he's like, oh, they took your sailboat? That's really sad. That sucks. And so it's like, yeah, it, it would be sad if not for the fact that I killed one of them. We got, we, we killed, we killed one of the, yeah, and then, these then he's clearly trying to get a read from his one eye as to like, how does that news strike him? But Mikhail is a bit stone-faced, though the visage at least drops for now with, of course, the line as you played in the intro. Why are we all trying to play this little game when we all know it has moved to the next stage? And then Mikhail, now look, I don't give him too much blame because he's missing an eye, horrifically misses by throwing the pitcher at Saeed. Yeah, I mean, like, I think there are, it, it's a badass moment. And the moment when Mikhail just is like, let's just stop playing. Let's just get to the yeah, fight. Put up your dukes. Let's get down to it. Because he wants to fight. You know, he's in, he's in, like, he just wants to solve this the old-fashioned way. Um, but again, this is another example of, like, Mikhail is just, like, too eager. He's not thinking with his head he stands up and throws the pitcher like and has to like monologue before he does it uh like he gives them enough time to like get their bodies ready for a fight you know he yeah, doesn't get the drop on them there were two times where he could have really gotten the drop on them and instead he just uh he just decides to 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 go for the Go for the fisticuffs. Well, not only that, he's up against, you know, a fellow soldier who, granted, while shot in the arm, still does an incredibly admirable job of fighting him off. And, like, one of the feistiest people of the 815 in Kate. If it was Locke and Saeed, that'd be better. If it was Locke and Kate, that'd probably be the best one. But Mikhail, despite, you know, the numbers are not on his side and also the skills are not on his side, where he does try to hold them off to a certain regard, but Saeed pretty easily gets the jump on him after a certain amount of time. A one-armed Saeed is better than a one-eyed Mikhail in a well, fight. Well, we'll see that Saeed doesn't even need his arms by the time the season three finale comes around. Yeah, he's a leg man to begin with. Uh, so they're gonna they're gonna beat Mikhail. Locke shows up too late. He's too. He was too. Like this is the argument for why you don't want a Pac-Man machine in the hatch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> like the lock types are just going to become too distracted, and we have. He's like, like, oh, it sounds like there's a ruckus out there, but I feel like I'm right on the cusp of a very good move. Can you define this ruckus? Yeah. Uh, um, but, but I love, you know, it's been a while, I think, since we've gotten, like, really a pitch-perfect transition from current day to flashback. And we get it here where Saeed just very bluntly puts, get some rope, and then it cuts to Saeed chained up in this restaurant back room, season six style, uh, basically now getting interrogated, being on, the, being on the other side of the torture table, but not necessarily in the solitary way when he was being held captive by Daniel Rousseau. And so there's three more flashback scenes in this episode. The next two, like, I don't have too much to say other than, like, Saeed's tied up. Uh, the guy is revealing, like, you tortured my wife. He's like, I didn't. I did torture people, but it wasn't. I did torture your wife, uh, which I think is a bad tactic. It's like, at that point, like, you should probably, you know, you should either be holding the lie or you should open yeah, up like, all the like, way. Don't, don't try to feign ignorance. Again, that's sort of like the Mikhail thing, right? We're like, we know that you're guilty of it. And the more you deny it, the more you're going to incriminate yourselves. The one thing that I think really sheds a new light on Saeed's character here is that this is the first time from in our experience from watching Saeed that he is torturing someone who quote unquote doesn't deserve it. The story of Amira is that she was accused of harboring enemies of the state and when she wouldn't comply because apparently that was not the case she was then you know incorrectly tortured for crimes she did not commit got burned by some nasty oil and that's what produced the state that she's in now. 
But if you look at the previous times that Saeed has tortured, even someone like Nadia had information that, you know, was very needed for the Republican Guard. So I feel like when Saeed has been torturing people in the past when we've seen him, it's always for, for lack of a better term, a greater good. Even in the greater good, he had to try to betray his friend who was part of a terrorist ring. This is someone who truly, like, did nothing from a moral perspective to warrant this torture, either than being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I do feel like that is unique because this is Saeed. Whether he did it or not, that actually doesn't matter to me. I would have been fine if this flashback ended with it being like, we don't know whether or not he actually did it because he's receiving penance for what he did, even if it wasn't that particular person. I believe he, uh, pings. You mean to say pings. Exactly, exactly. Pings. Uh, pings many years later, uh, underwater, you know, as a matter of fact. But it's this idea that, you know, no matter who it is, you are receiving your just desserts for what you did years and years in the past. And in that regard, it feels, I don't know, it feels really cool to me in terms of the Saeed arc and through the lens of someone who. You know, he says at the end, I kept you were in my mind all these years. I don't know how true that is, but I can imagine that having to torture someone who truly and this is a person who had nothing to do with anything might break your code. If you do have a code of like, I'm doing these terrible things, but at least it's for a good reason that just straight up crosses the line into an uncanny territory. And, and that can really stick with a person. And I think also uh, sometimes you do terrible things and it's not for a good reason. And I, I think that that's a big piece of Saeed too, is like there there are some things that I've done that like were, were because I was unquestioning of the motive behind it. Like I was just doing the stuff. Uh, I had some justification at the time, um, but it's not enough. And so like he's haunted by things that he's done. Uh, and I think that there are ways in which he's probably overly hard on himself. And then there are ways in which he's, uh, as exactly as hard on himself as he ought to be, um, and I think that that is uh, again uh, the what John Locke said earlier. It's what makes being human so uniquely wonderful uh, <laughs> is that we screw up. We screw up sometimes minorly, sometimes majorly, uh, and we have to live with it. And whether or not we get forgiven the way that Saeed does at the end of this episode um, is out of your control. Um, so I, you know, all of that is in play with just Saeed as as a character, right? But it's also this is also a good reminder of that. Again, I'll say that the flashback isn't necessary because again, that's something that has been with the character ever since Solitary when we really first explored it. This idea of him being haunted about his past from being a torturer. But it's a good reminder, especially in the middle of season three, as Saeed is going to be dealing with more and more unsavory people. We saw how he reacted to Ben Linus in one of them, and this just complicates it further by reminding him about, for lack of a better term, the humanity that can exist in people and how sometimes even if you have your suspicions about someone, you don't need to necessarily sink to the recesses of violence and brutality to get what you want. Uh, so back on the island, this is when Saeed's like, so there's somebody here, there, that, that horse is set up for someone shorter. There's someone down here. There's someone in the house. Uh, and John's like, how is that possible? Uh, we've checked every nook and cranny of the place. And, and Saeed says, not every nook and cranny, John. And there is a tremendous outtake from this, which is what I pulled the next sound from. So this is an outtake of this scene, which is my favorite lost outtake in the history of lost outtakes. Well, if there's anyone else here, they're hiding pretty good. I, I checked every nook and cranny. Not every nook and cranny, John. <laughs> Good God, Holmes. Good yeah. God, 
God, Holmes? Yes! That's the name of the show. <laughs> Good God, Holmes? Yeah! Or Nook, or what about Nook and Cranny, where Nook Saeed Cranny. plays Nook and Charlie plays, plays Cranny? Yeah, I like that, too. I like that, too. But I, I, uh, I cannot hear the phrase or use the phrase Nook and Cranny without thinking of Navy and Andrews. Yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant thing. And it, it's obviously like, this is clearly like punch drunk, probably like ninth or tenth take. And Navy and Andrews is like, let's just try like something to make everybody laugh. And he succeeds minimally. There's a few awkward no, seconds break. before. People I mean, break. You hear people like in the background chuckling and then Terry O'Quinn does what he does. The one person who doesn't break is Andrew Divoff. He's like, yeah. he, they like literally knocked him unconscious or he fell asleep, but he is <laughs> he is not moving at all. No, I, I feel like this guy is totally like, uh, <laughs> you know, he's very committed. He's he's doing method the entire time. He's walking around in this Russian accent yes. on set, like malevolently staring at people. He's so in character that he is not going to break even if navy and andrews is going to make things a bit light for take number 17 so that's really really great so but yeah the the nook and the nook and cranny reveal is that there is a big old trap door underneath this rug thank you nadia for helping reveal it as well there's a trap door and so they're going to go under first there's another flashback more punching saeed around and uh the 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 woman who's identified Saeed's like yeah let's not do this right now we'll get back into that in a little bit um in the basement tons of dharma files yeah, and I gotta say, a little inefficient on Dharma to not print the name of your manual on the spine. Like, if you noticed, all the spines just say is Dharma on it vertically, yes. which makes no sense. You want to be able to peruse them Correct. and be able to pull out easily. You don't have to pull out 15 manuals to be like, oh, this is operations. Okay, finally. I blame Radzinski for this. Yeah, I think Radzinski was messing around on Microsoft Word 70s version. It was just coming out with bad designs. Yeah, uh, we should give him an LVP point this week. Um, yeah, it's like food drop protocol. It's an operations manual. Like All this stuff is very, very useful in sites. Like, sweet, jackpot. All of this is very, 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 very good. Meanwhile, upstairs, something is going to happen. John Locke is going to do the impossible and beat the three grandmasters at their own game. Let's listen in. Your move. Radio override achieved. For pallet drop, enter two four. For station uplink, enter 3-2. For mainland communication, enter 3-8. The satellite dish is inoperable. Communications are down. For sonar access, enter 5-6. Sonar is inoperable. Has there been an incursion on this station by the hostiles? If so, enter 7 7. Keep your voice low and your hands in front of you. God damn it, Locke. Mm. Uh, but we should be impressed, right? John Locke was John Locke pretty good at chess. 
John Locke is good at chess. What he's not good is watching the hostage. <laughs> he yeah. goes, well, one game won't hurt. Yeah, I could get back to the game. Uh, but so we get a little glimpse of Pierre Cheng here. So we see in the first episode of season five that, you know, we see Pierre Cheng in the middle of recording one of the orientation videos. But outside of that, did Pierre Cheng have to record every single iteration of the codes that were entered to exist in the flame computer? This is like his, this was his, uh, his second win. Like this is a career change after the incident was like, mm. they, like everyone was either like dead or hurt or whatever, but he was okay other like than the, you know, destroyed arm thing. Uh, and they were like, you know what? You're really good on camera. We've been recording some stuff with you recently. And we actually think that you'd be a really good uh, on air talent for us here in the Dharma initiative. Yeah, so what I want you to do is you can just sit in this chair, but I'm going to read you a series of numbers, and you're going to have to just recite to the camera, unblinking, what each thing does. Yeah, uh, so that's uh, Mikhail gets the drop on Locke downstairs. Miss Clue is going to get the drop on Kate as they get into a little bit of a fight, but Saeed is actually going to get the drop on Miss Clue, and Saeed is going to say... Stop right there. Yeah, so he, yeah. he's got the gun on her. Before you go any further, this is Saeed. <laughs> Get away from Kate. Get away from Kate Austin. Yeah. <laughs> I will be here forever. If my spirit can't move on, I will be here forever. <laughs> the Gerondoff. Uh, exactly. Uh, and the, the ghost of Casey Kasem as a whisper comes up. Can you play that just one more time? <laughs> So stupid. Congratulations, you have won a Saeed Scorpions <laughs> yeah, jacket. Saeed, for a- Saeed Scorpions, yeah. Uh, so Kate knocks Miss Clue out. She's mad, right? She's like, that's her! That's the one! Right, because she was at the Pala Ferry, so she at least recognizes her. I mean, this is the first time she's really seen an other and been able to get her hands on them since she left, uh, since she left Hydra. Is that so where uh, Paolo uses the bathroom, by the way? Oh boy, yeah, that's <laughs> the Paolo Ferry is just stunk up in perpetuity by poor Paolo just like leaving piles upon piles of doo-doos there. Yeah, we'll just leave that right there. So much like he does at the Paolo Ferry. Stop right there. Uh so Said is gonna uh take uh take Miss Clue upstairs. We're gonna we're gonna go up. Are there other people here? Uh and then this is this is how it all Goes down. Let's listen into the full thing. You know what's coming up. John! Out here! This is simple. Send her over to me and I will release him. And we all go our separate ways. Don't listen to him. If he was going to kill me, I'd be dead already. Shut your mouth. Listen to me. Saeed, do not let her go. I will execute you right He's not going to do it. Be quiet, I'm John. the only thing keeping him alive. I swear to you. Mikhail. Calm down, everyone. Mikhail! Saeed? I'll handle this, John. John? We can't Finish it! 
So, Josh, in one of the issues of Lost, the official magazine, Andrew Divoff actually claimed that while filming this scene, the way he played it was to believe that he and Miss Clue were lovers. And this was him being prompted to shoot his on-island girlfriend. I could see that. I could see yeah, it. does that does that color the way you view this scene at all? Uh, yeah, I could see it of him being like uh, it's like sort of like a Star Lord and Gamora thing, except he doesn't have a a, a reality warped bubble gun. Uh, you know, I I I, I buy that. Um, yeah, I think I think that that makes this sad. Yeah, uh, that it just so happened. Like I don't know. In that perspective, was Miss Clue over there for any official business, or was she there for a booty call? That got sort of cock-blocked by this visiting group. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, a, a tie was on the door. You should not have come in. Yeah. Enter 7-7. Seven, seven. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I haven't really thought about that a lot, but um, it certainly colors the scene a certain way. But even if they're just like colleagues, uh, it speaks to the fact that they are both like zealots within, mm. the, within the world of the others. Yeah, um, so, to, so to read the translation of the scene uh, from Russian to English, so Miss Clue says, Mikhail, Mikhail, you know what to do. Mikhail replies, we still have another way, which assumingly means another way out. Miss Clue says, we cannot risk it. You know the conditions. Mikhail insists, there is another way. Clue responds, they captured us. We will not let them, to, we will not let them get into the territory. Clue then says, you know what to do. That's an order. Mikhail says, we still have another way. Miss Clue says in English, just do it, Mikhail. And Mikhail finally mutters to himself, forgive me, before shooting her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, look, points for dedication to the cause. Uh, but you could give yourself a few extra minutes or even hours or even a couple of days with this crew, and you're probably going to be fine, Miss Clue. I mean, listen, we'll see that Mikhail, I mean, granted, he won't be very long hanging out with this crew as of next episode, but I think he's more in the right here, but there is another way, even if the other way is to be captured and taken yeah, by them as captured. prisoner. Get captured for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, listen, that didn't torture Mikhail right afterwards. He could have, but he chooses to invoke more mercy. So maybe she was just jumping to the, the worst case scenario. But yeah, as we mentioned before... This is the end of Miss Clue. She has had three appearances in the series between three minutes, Live Together, Die Alone, which is what Kate recognizes her from, and now this. We've talked a bit about uh, some other, you know, unrecognized moments in which Miss Clue could have appeared. Apparently, she was supposed to die in the Glass Ballerina instead of Colleen. So I guess in retrospect, Josh, would you have preferred her die there on the sailboat or here with this whole Mikhail standoff? Um, I I don't know. I, I wish we'd gotten a little more Miss Clue than we than we ended up getting. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think her standing in for Isabel would stay yes, would solve a, I really a few like problems. That. I like that. I think that's good. I think that that would have been good. Uh yeah, I I don't I I I guess I appreciate the shock factor here, but um and and the fact that like it's somebody who like you're interested to know more about and then they just kill her off like okay. Um but at the same point, I was interested. I wanted to know more. This was a very good performance. Uh I would have loved to have seen more Miss Clue. I think that they could have done some cool stuff with Miss Clue. I think that there's a world where Miss Clue is like uh, a Richard Alpert type. Uh, mm-hmm. And that could have been really fascinating to watch. So I do think it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. And I, I do wonder, again, maybe it was an availability thing. That's why apparently she didn't end up getting killed a la Colleen on the ferry. But I just wish if they were going for a big shock factor of like, wow, this is another that we actually know and she's dying. 
I would have loved to see her sooner than the finale of season two. You know, it, it feels weird to have her appear again half a season later and to have us all suddenly be like, oh my God, they killed Miss Clue. So I feel like it was an interesting idea for a shocker that I think got bungled a bit, whether that was behind the scenes stuff or just, you know, them moving on to other prospects and highlighting others like Danny Pickett instead. Uh, you know, Miss Clue was, was interesting in the few episodes that we saw her, but you can't help but look at her and think, you know, miss potential for uh, a bit. Back at the beach, uh, Sawyer has clearly lost the match against Hurley. He's, uh, you know, licking his wounds, cleaning his glasses when Hurley comes along. Sorry I beat you so bad, dude. Sorry you hustled me, you mean. My mom had a table in her basement. And I played a lot at the instant this place I hung out for a while. It got kind of good. Well, hooray for you. Doesn't look like that last slam caused any long-term damage to your forehead. And you got three points, which is better than zero. Something you want. Came to give you back some of your stuff. Because, uh, you know you're the kind of guy that needs stuff. You shrink now. She'll be okay, dude. Kate, I know you're worried about her. But she's with Locke and Saeed. She's gonna be fine. Yeah, well, thanks for the pep talk. Uh-uh, dude. It's early. It's a Hugo, if you want. Get bent, Hugo. Josh, if Trisha Tanaka is the is the alley-oop for Hurley becoming the leader of the island, this is the straight-up slam dunk episode, uh, right? Great. It's great. Well, there's a few of those things, and also because we're going to get it uh, in, in a little while from now, where Hurley is going to, like, tell Sawyer that you're at risk of getting voted out of the tribe, um, and then, like, that's all, like, a ruse to get him to become the... He's like, we need a leader around here. Uh, little does Hurley know, like, he's, like, the leader right now. Yeah. I mean, he's the one, he's like... selling himself he- short. He's the one that represented the castaway, single-handedly defeated Sawyer. He's the one that was able to, everybody hates Hugo style, like divvy up all of Sawyer's stuff so they could cover it in whatever poop that they want to. He's the one who serves as a shoulder for Sawyer to cry on by saying like what he needs to hear in that moment, which is like, don't worry, Kate's going to come back. I know you care about her, even though you, you expressly say that you don't. Like This is a really fantastic episode for Hurley, and I think sets up from a... I don't know, from like a confidence standpoint and from an emotional standpoint, the role he's going to end up playing in the very end of the series. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's great. I, another reason why I love this uh, beach stuff that's going on right now. This is the end of the beach stuff, really, you know? Yeah, and to have, and to have Sawyer followed up with a nice Get Bent Hugo is Get fantastic. Get Bent Hugo on a shirt, please and thank you. Um, all right, so back at the flame, Kate's loading up supplies. She's like, Locke, you ready? Locke's like, ah, wait a minute. He's got a fit. Excuse me, I have two select numbers to enter for no particular reason. Well, and also to do that, he's got to beat the chess game again, which is impressive, you know? Yeah, I I do wonder, you know, if the manual overrides only came through beating the chess game. You'd have to imagine there's like a fast track, right? Otherwise, you'd have to put your your best chess person uh, on there or you're not going to be able to get anything done. I would expect that that's right. Um, so he's reviewing his options again. Meanwhile, Saeed's walking uh, Mikhail around. He's calling for Danielle, who's going to show up in like five seconds. Uh, Mikhail says, everything I told you was true, except for that one part that wasn't true and maybe that <laughs> other thing as well. Uh, and uh, so uh, he's uh, Saeed's going to say, well, we've got our ticket to finding the others and maybe our ticket out of here. 
And Mikhail's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. He's like, oh, you're not the ticket. The ticket is this. It's this map. It's this map that leads from here to this uh, this fence with sonar pings uh, and beyond the sonar pings. Yeah, we've got drawings of all sorts of sonar pings here, no matter what the length. And we uh, this place has a lot of water and power, tons of dormitories. Seems like a place well worth visiting. Uh, and Mikhail says, all right, that's fine. But... I'm probably going to kill you some one of these days. Like, you know, Russo goes, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> and why are we keeping this guy alive? And of course, we're gonna we're gonna find out from Saeed uh, after a flashback that he's just like, no, it's my choice. He's my prisoner. I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to be that guy. But first, there is that flashback, uh, and I think that like. Again, there's not going to be much that I want to add to this other than I think that this is just such an excellently acted scene um, mm-hmm. that, again, is just like underlining all of the things that we're talking about as far as how this deepens the world uh, and life and times of Saeed Jarrah uh, and the things that he's done on his way to who he's become in this moment. And it's a lengthy clip. I think it's worth playing. I think it's one of uh, just one of the best acted flashback scenes we've had in a long time. After my husband and I first arrived to Paris, I was afraid to ever leave our apartment. So I would stare out the window into the alley and I would see this cat looking for scraps. One day, some children came into the alley and trapped it in a box. I watched them light firecrackers and dropped them in the box. I could hear him howl from three stories above. So finally, I had a reason to leave my apartment. I rescued this cat and I brought him home. Sits with me when I read. Sleeps with me. And he purrs. Once in a while, he will bite me or scratch me. He does this because sometimes he forgets that he is safe now. So I forgive him when he bites me because I know what it is like to never feel safe. That is because of you. So today, I ask only one thing of you. I ask you now that you show me the respect of acknowledging what you did to me. That it was you who questioned me, that tortured me, and that you remember me. Your 
Your face has haunted me ever since I left Iraq. Sorry for what I did to you. It's the story of Lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the idea that, you know, you are capable of doing bad things, but you can still be a good person. And this scene, I don't know, really hit me in a way watching this time that it hadn't before. And honestly, I, I think it's a bit of Lost Meets You where you are, you know, not to get too much into the outside world of it all. But I, I do think we live in a time where I think the ills of society have been exposed in very ugly ways. In many ways, uh, the proliferation of social media has allowed us to see a lot of stuff, a lot of rot that has lied rampant in years and years and years of this world existing. And I think watching so many bad people do bad things can really drag you down. And sometimes it can make you so angry that you say, you know, like, if I get the opportunity, I want to I wanna show them what it's like. I want to do something bad back. But essentially what Amira is saying here is, not to get too political, but when you go low, I go high. This idea of, yes, you have seen how low people can sink when they are in pursuit of what they believe is something good. But you do not need to be like that. And, and it's, a, it's a reminder when our emotions overcome us and we feel like we are fine with doing something bad as well, uh, you know, to stymie something else bad being done. It, it, it takes these moments, at least from my perspective, to realize that being good many times is so much harder than being bad. But it is so much more rewarding because if you look at how this scene ends... The person who was doing bad was left a crying mess chained to the back room of a restaurant. And the person who was doing good has walked away satisfied, forgiving, resolute, and resolved in her past demons and has a cat to boot. That's a win to me. Yeah, so that's interesting because what I meant when I said that this scene is lost in a nutshell is I meant that lost is like a cat. Lost is like a cat. You know, I've never frisky, heard that before. Cute, super cute and cuddly, but sometimes it'll scratch you. 
Yeah, it's got and it's got a, like a tail. Moody. And some people say that the tail end of Lost is a little murky at times. Moody, moody. Um, it comes in many colors depending mm-hmm. on how you view it. It makes weird sounds sometimes. Uh, uh, it doesn't like water. A constant companion, true companion. Uh, Lost, some, yeah, Lost sometimes is like a cat. Sometimes it'll make very pleasing sounds, but sometimes yeah. it'll like rear up yeah. and you know become very alarmed. So that's what I meant when I said this scene is a lot. Uh, sometimes was, it poops in a box <laughs> like Paolo does in the sand. Yeah, you just never know. Um, yeah, it's a gr- it's a great scene, and it's just so well acted. the The look on Navy and Andrew's face when he just like breaks is so it's so. Yeah, I think much. I think this this even more so than the death of Shannon. I think is the most broken we see Shaid. Maybe it's because Shaid had been so hardened by death at that point that you know he obviously had an emotional reaction. But this is like maybe this is also Shaid with you know days of me- very little water and food, probably no food that he is just at the end of his rope or chain, but he just looks so, I don't know, just, this is this is not the Saeed that we're used to. He is, like, begging and pleading and apologizing profusely. He is broken, fundamentally. And it's an interesting time, again, for Amir to sort of, like, lift up his head, wash off his mascara, take her Kleenex, and wipe that lipstick away, because suddenly Saeed is here to... <laughs> I think I went off the track here. I don't, know of I don't know what's going on. I just unintentionally compared Saeed to Little Shop of Horrors, and now <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. Uh, something, something, you'll be a dentist. Yeah, uh, and a giant Michael plant, yeah, too. Get off on everybody. the pain I inflict. But I think it's when Saeed is at his nadir that this woman is essentially saying, like, yes, I'm glad you were so remorseful for what happened, and now I will tell you that you can do better. Look what I am able to do. You are capable of such forgiveness as well. And it's a granted, it's a very different situation, but he exercises this when we go back to the present where maybe a different type of Saeed would have killed him outright. He says, no, no, no. We're just going to keep him as our prisoner for a little bit. I am going to exercise a rule of mercy right now in this moment. Yeah, I think that these are this. That's the thing is like I think for her it's less about like I'm going to make you a better man. It's more like no, this is who I am. And so I think like there's an uh, a, a re- less that it's like an intentional like now you can be the better person and more like he thinks back on a moment like that. And it's like, that was a time when I was shown mercy and I'm trying to be better. I'm striving to be better. I'm striving to be different from some of the things that I've done in the past. And so he's not going to kill Mikhail here. He's not going to just like execute him in cold blood. He just doesn't want to do that stuff anymore. He's really no, trying no. hard not to. Don't worry, Mikhail. You won't die until next episode. And then the finale. And then the finale <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, You'll have a few more times to die. Uh, and so Locke shows up and he's so happy. He's like, I know why you didn't want me to be the chess game (laughs) it's like what does that mean and then the flame station explodes oh my god this is a real like maybe even more so than the i was wrong at the end of season two because there was a reason behind why Locke felt that pressing the button was an exercise in futility this is a real egg on his face moment from john Locke. Uh, it's very funny where Saeed is like, why did you do that? He's like, well, it said enter seven, seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I know that there are people, uh, who, who are a little frustrated with the John Locke arc at this point in the story. I'm looking at Ben Martell, the great Ben behind the curtain, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I, I don't know. John Locke is in this moment right now where like, he thinks that he just needs to be doing what the island is telling him to do. And he right. He's like, well, cool. This island puts seven. 
Yeah, put this chess game in front of me. Clearly, it wanted me to be yeah. it. Clearly, it wanted me to enter 7-7. Seven, seven. Like, the last n- time I didn't push a button, the thing blew up. So now I yeah. push the button well, and the thing blows up. What am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? Push a button sometimes? How am yeah. I supposed to know that? I think only in absolutes. <laughs> Stupid John Luck. Anyway, so they all get up to go. And then Saeed sees Nadia, the cat. The cat's all good. The cat walks away. So does Saeed. And that's enter 7-7. Seven, seven. Really, just a really fun episode of Lost. Yeah, I think it's a very solid episode. Yeah, you know, as totally. we get down to the to the four point twos, I don't yep. think there's a lot of stuff out here to make it as outstanding as some of the episodes that have come before totally in agreed. season three. But like, there is a lot of really interesting material, not only speaking forward to what's to happen in Lost and what becomes important, but also speaking back to the character of Saeed and reminding us of the journey that he's on, even in this moment when things are super action-packed and less so character-focused. Yeah, uh, and just, like, showing the strength of Saeed and, like, uh, both his kindness, his mercy, his vulnerability, his human lie detector abilities, his skills in a fist fight when he only has one fist to speak of. Uh, Although Stefan Johnson writes in and uh, notes that there is a Saeed weakness that he lived in Paris for all that time, but he still can't speak any French. Uh, and Shannon is the one who has to translate the radio call. You would have thought that maybe Saeed would have picked up some French during his stay in Paris. I don't know. I, I mentioned it before, though. Like, he worked in an Arabic food restaurant. Like, I would imagine that probably the chefs in the kitchen were not necessarily fluent French speakers. They were probably expats as well. So maybe Saeed just didn't pick it up because he wasn't surrounding himself with native French speakers. Yeah. Uh, who knows? But I just feel like maybe just from, depending on how long he lived there, would he have picked up a few words, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Um, anything from the Jim Fells music analysis this week that you want to report on? The the music in that scene, uh, that final flashback scene is really, really beautiful, especially. It is, but that's really only one of the things of note in this episode, because you probably heard this in the previous clips and Jim Fells notes as well, that there is a lot of like those string stings, the buh, buh. And I think it just speaks to like uh, a lot of the dramatics going on and all the action-packed gun-pointingness of it all that's happening over the course of this episode. So outside of that, which, you know, brings in those four notes of the Saeed motif, there's not really that much music stuff to the point where Jim Fell's video this week actually speaks more about a piece outside of the main Lost show, but still important to the universe. He takes a deep dive into Lost via Domus, the critically panned video game, speaking of Final Fantasy, that came out. Out, you know, in Why the are you of saying that? Is, that? is that an indication that Final Fantasy is critically panned? No, critically panned. Not not the uh, the Final okay. Fantasy. All Although right. certain you know iterations are looking at you, Final Fantasy X. Uh, but I think that you know it, it's so it's more of a focus on that because there are actually surprisingly some musical connections to this episode from that game, which does let you explore the Flame Station for a while. I won't get too much into it because I have a feeling at some point we'll get into the Via Domos of it all with this with a future podcast but yeah if you're interested in checking out a little piece of uh lost you know the lost outer orbit of pop culture yet still connecting back to the main star that is the show proper check out jim fell's video as always all right let's do the mvps and lvps mike uh let's get into the 23 points um you've got three mvps i've got three lvps where do you want to start Let's start with the main man himself. Good Saeed episode. And for someone who has not really done much since the days of the Glass Ballerina, this is really the first time that I think Saeed has a big win in this season. And like you said, it's a great episode for him. He really rarely falters except for his inability to know French. So I'm going to give him a point here. Yeah, I got to follow suit. Uh, 
Uh, it's just an excellent Saeed episode. Naveen Andrews is so, so, so good. Saeed is just able to do miraculous things this week, uh, which gives him, a uh, with our two points, it gives him a, a one point on the board overall for season three so far, because he was in the negative, actually, already. Uh, right, well, well he, did, he did allow the boat to get stolen. He did, he did, he did. Um, but this is just extending his overall lead as Saeed is now at 22 points Overall, Mr. Echo is the closest behind him with 16, and that's not oh, that number is not going up. I was gonna say he'll have to get one next week to get it up to 23. Uh, and well, speaking of the Saeed, I'm gonna go with someone who was linked to him in this episode via flashbacks. It's very rare that we give this to a one-time guest star, but I am giving it to Amira first. I think even if you just listen to that last clip, and Bedian brings so much weight to her scene with Saeed in particular that just left me absolutely breathless. And the character also succeeds in that she gets what she wants out of Saeed, essentially, which is like an apology and her to be able to to sleep at night knowing like, well, I was able to, you know, find the person who tortured me and was able to tell them what I wanted to tell him. So she gets a point in my book. Yeah, I think that that's great. Uh, I got to give a point to Hurley. Hurley, Hurley just hustling Sawyer is worthy of a point for sure. And in fact... Uh, now, Hurley has 15 points overall, so it might not be long before he surpasses Mr. Echo uh, as the official second place of the Down the Hatch MVP oh, so far. Well, he's going to get at least one for Through the Looking Glass with what he does with the van. So by the end of the season, he will There's a lot to award in, uh, in Through the Looking Glass, though. So we'll see. We'll see if he gets I don't there. know. I mean, Hurley plays a, an instrumental part in there, so we shall see. My prediction is he'll definitely pass Echo by the end of the season, if not sooner. I'm going to give my final point here to Mikhail. Uh, I know he slips up sometimes in this episode, but I think it's a really fun introduction to a character. I think we talked about how Andrew Devov does a really great job just doing this whole expo dump with this character. Plus, he's a good host. You know, he's got an iced tea. He's got everything nice and orderly, despite the fact that he didn't know company would be coming over. And I want to acknowledge that. It's it's tough to be a good host sometimes. Do you think that expose should have been called expo dump? Ooh, well, if Paolo's in it, then yes, 100%. Um, you give Mikhail a point, I shall take it away with my oh. with my first LVP. Uh, I think Mikhail is a great character. I think he uh, he did not have to lose as hard as he loses in this episode. I think yeah, that there are several that errors. They, they could have gotten the drop on these guys. They had the home advantage, and they just... Uh, Mikhail is like... All right, here's what I'm going to do, Miss Clue. I'm going to start shooting. She's like, no, don't do that. Come into the basement. No, don't worry. I have me. a story no, that's only about this. like, ten, it's, I have a story that's only about 10% false. I'll be able to get everything right. And she's like, no, you idiot. You big, beautiful idiot. <laughs> and he just does what he does. So, uh, yeah, Mikhail uh, plays this one poorly, unfortunately. So I'll give him an LVP so he just gets canceled out. All right. Well, I'm going to, we just finished the episode dunking on him. I'm going to dock a point from Locke here. Because of just everything Locke does in this episode, he beats the chess match, but he also blows up a Dharma station accidentally. <laughs> yeah, I'll join you. I'll, I'll throw a, I'll throw an LVP point at John Locke as well. I think that uh, he makes some. You know, he's great at chess, but he blows up the flame. Um, that actually means that he's a negative one for season three. He is actually a negative one overall right now. Wow! It's well, been a listen, ride for John Locke. I mean, tough. it is. I mean, if you if you did that tracker, season one was particularly pretty damn good for Locke, with the exception of the Boone stuff. Season two, that eroded very, very carefully over the season with the hatch. 
And now it's it still is a bit of a mixed bag where Locke got his groove back, but now as we talked about, he's following things to an extreme when that's not the right path to go down. No, so I think it's understandable. We'll see by the end of the season, which becomes very particularly interesting in the John Locke level, where he ends up, but not a good place for him right now. No, 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 no. So I'll, I'll follow you with Locke, and I'll give my final one uh, to Miss Clue because she dies. And I'll give my, as I mentioned before, Sawyer's getting a point here because he got hustled by the Hurlster. Yeah, uh, but he's still in second place in season three so far. Uh, so so good for Sawyer. Yeah, I think uh, Trisha Tanaka is dead. Just really like canceled it out. He had a good episode and a bad episode. Yeah, so he's doing fine. He's doing just fine. All right, 4.2 stars. Uh, I'll go first. I really love this episode. I think it's a really fun, good episode of Lost. Um, I could have gone a little bit higher than than what I ultimately went with. But I just wanted to do it because it's got the numbers in the title. So we'll go to 3.77. Mm. I could have gone as high as a 3.9, but just for... Uh, it's Enter 77, so I entered 3.77. Oh, no. Josh, is your apartment going to blow up in a few minutes? Maybe. It's possible. Uh, uh, I, I think I like it a little bit more than the score reflects, but o- only a little bit more. Maybe like a 3.8. So I'll just give it a 3.77 because that's fun. Yeah, this is end up wound up being like very straightforward for me. Uh, I like this episode a little bit more than I do, which has a three point five for me, and I like this episode a little bit less than not in Portland, which gets a three point seven for me. So by default, three point six it is yeah. for Enter Seven Seven. Still puts it in the great episode lost tier uh, according to my rubric. I think we we had some, there were some scores around this range. I'm looking as low as like a three point one and as high as a four point one, but it seems like a lot of scores were sort of in a very very similar mid to high threes category. As I said before, very solid episode. Very solid episode indeed. Uh, it's a 3.7 from the audience. It's a 3.68 overall. It is top six baby of season three thus far. Yeah, and uh, that makes sense too. Right below Not in Portland and again, right, right above I Do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so next week, Par Avion. Par Avion? Yeah, that, sorry, he doesn't understand. He doesn't know French. Uh, yeah. This is a this is a mixed episode. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I you know I, I think about the season three like from Trisha Tanaka onward as being like a really strong st- stretch of of the show with maybe a couple of hiccups uh, along the way, and I think of Par Avion as maybe one of them. But it has a next level ending. Is this another? Right. Is this another case of an uh, of uh, an episode? The, the of whole Lost? truth, yeah, yeah, that has just like such a great ending that it transcends, or is it not enough to transcend? But the ending of next week's episode is uh, one for the books. And we're going to have... It's an interesting episode to talk about. This is going to be the first Claire flashback since Raised by Another, if you don't count, like, the maternity leave on island thing. I think it's going to bring up a lot of conversation as I think this is the the biggest indicator of how the writers just had no clue what to do with Claire, even in the second season. Uh, and I think this really shows, even though I'm, I'm happy that we see at least some Claire before Aaron so that her character is not entirely dependent on her being a mother. But I think it does show some of the holes in her depiction that is going to extend all the way to season six. As we said, the expedition with Mikhail and Toe now is going to continue. We're going to get his first death. So I'm excited for that. It's just that the A plot is going to be interesting. What people ascribe to SOS of like, wow, we're really going back to the survival plot with Bernard trying to make the SOS 
West signal almost gets amplified in this one with, wow, Claire's really going to try to get migratory birds to deliver messages outside the island in season three. So I'm excited to broach it again, especially as a parent. The Claire stuff has really hit me differently, so I'm excited to re-explore that. All right, so we'll explore that next week. Par Avion, get your feedback in down the hatch at Post Show Recaps. You can also talk to us all week long about down the hatch in the Post Show Recaps patron Discord, which is our community hub for all things post show recaps for the patrons of post show recaps. You can become a member by going to patreon.com slash post show recaps. Just think about it. Just think about it. It's a fun time. We're having a really, really good time. Not only are we talking great Easing stuff up on the hard sell, you know, we're slowing down, slowing down on the hard sell. But yeah, if you want to come along, said, we're wait. having a good time. The cell speaks for itself in the form of now four weekly page, not weekly patron podcast, but four podcasts for patrons of Poster Week, including the very recently started Origin Story. Oh, well, that's Josh actually uh, a main feed show. Oh, is, okay. is Origin Story? But it, made, made it was possible. spurred on by it's spurred on by the patrons. Yes. So you want to thank the patrons in a way by becoming one yourself. So you can now thank yourself for doing so. Right. So we've just launched a podcast. It's called Origin Story. It's every other week. It's going to be an interview with myself and another person in the pop culture space, whether it's a podcaster, a reporter. I'd love to get some actors, some filmmakers along for the ride. No promises on that front yet. Um, <laughs> Looking at you, Darlton. You know, but but we've got some fun things in store. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be uh, a, a really great ride. And yeah, that was the first stretch goal that we had for the Patreon. If we reached 250 patrons, we would launch Origin Story. Our next goal, uh, our pie-in-the-sky goal right now is 1,000 patrons for a community mm-hmm. rewatch podcast. Uh, we are on our way towards it. But before we get there, if we get there, we have a 500 patron milestone, which is if we reach 500 patrons, we are going to bring back most shows recapped, which was an old school post show recaps podcast where we talked about a different show every single week, whether it was a new show that was on TV that we don't have time to do the weekly podcast for, if it was a deep dive into something from the past. Either way, we were always talking about a different TV show. Um, Most shows recapped will return if we reach 500 patrons. So if that's something that you're interested in, excited in, it was a really fun podcast. It was just hard to do. Um, This would make it possible to do it. Uh, So if you can sign up, if you haven't done it yet, if you want that podcast, if you want the community podcast, we do encourage you to sign up. But you also get to, to go into the Discord if you sign up at the Discord level to talk to a lot of really fun people who are talking about Lost in there, yeah. plus all sorts I'm, of other shenanigans. I just realized I made the sell nice and hard and trying to mention the Origin Story podcast as well. So apologies for you trying to to undersell it. But yeah, it's, it's been a really fun time. The conversation has been especially fervent, including among the hatchlings. You know, you all get to go in there when you finish your rewatch of the episode. You offer your thoughts, which is really, really fun to track as well. We've got some Lost GIFs going on there, too. We've been sharing some content back and forth. So the lost conversation is fervent here and you can talk with us, you know, in real time or at least more in real time than you would even through social media or through feedback emails. Uh, Mike, this is not your first time talking lost this week. You were on Crazy Hank TV talking the season five finale, the incident. Yeah, so I was repping us uh, as we've been doing. We've been appearing on every season finale. I've been shirking of- my duties. I've been too focused on getting the post show recap stuff off the ground. I yeah, apologize. Yeah, but it's a hell of a hell of a duty. Like, forget Paulo. This is a duty <laughs> here. Uh, but so it was myself. It was uh, Ralph uh, Casino Skunk. It was a man by the name of Caleb, who might be one of the biggest Lost fans I've ever seen. He has not only the outfit that Juliet wears in a season four episode, the beginning of the end, but also has a replica of Jughead, the 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 prop bomb that they tried to detonate or succeeded in detonating in the incident. So we showed that off. 
we broke it down. Uh, I I did some calculations. I'm pretty sure we're going to go back on there to talk about the end with Crazy Hank TV before we even finish season three. So because he was doubling up on episodes, he has eclipsed us, lapped us, and then some. But if you want to check out a conversation that Josh and I are going to have in probably like nine months from now, uh, if I'm trying to time things out correctly, then be sure to check that out on YouTube. Yes, absolutely. So check that out. Also, Star Trek is happening. Mike Bloom and Jess Lease are talking disco. Disco party, Mike. Oh, yeah. Going back to the 70s, much like when Saeed was shot as a hostile for the second time in his life. Yeah, Disco Season 3 has premiered at this point. Jessica and I will be getting together to do our weekly coverage of that. I also was able to appear on this week's Everything is Super with you, Josh, an absolute star. Hell, Constellation Chappelle to do part one, our first ever multi-part Brant Steel, but it's for a good reason, because we did a 24-person simulated Survivor season of Survivor Endgame. Yeah, uh, and we have plans in the works to record part two very, 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 very soon. In fact, part two should be available for your ears before you listen to our Par Avion podcast on Down the Hatch. So it's just a mini cliffhanger. You won't have to wait a full year like you did between Infinity War and Endgame to find yeah, out. Yeah, and, and you won't have to do like uh, Rain and Brain Steals for Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel in between. No, no. Um, all right, so that's the podcast. Plenty of other stuff happening on Post Show Recaps, as Mike indicates. So just check out everything that we've got going on there. We'll be back next week with Par Avion. Uh, and why don't we close this out, Mike, with uh, uh, the quick little ditty from Saeed Jarrah, if you can. Stop right there. Yes, there is an underwater beacon that emits sonar pings. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.